And good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be around this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, live on this Sunday night, November 5th, 2023, of The Other Side of Midnight. We have a really interesting show tonight with our old colleague and friend, uh, Stephen Bassett. Stephen has launched what I think is perchance the most important activist UAP, UFO, ET initiative, uh, maybe of his entire career. He has obviously spent a lot of time in Washington, patrolling Capitol Hill, lobbying various representatives, becoming a member, uh, running for the uh, uh, membership of, of Congress several years ago. And of course, talking to media, major media all over the world regarding what he and I have considered uh, separately through separate tracks, potentially the most important political venue that you can imagine, which is disclosure of this extraordinary fact that the U.S. government has known that the human race is not alone for at least 76 years, give or take, and maybe, depending upon documents and records and uh, ancient text for a lot lot longer. Well, tonight he's launched this new initiative. Actually, it was a couple of days ago. And so we're going to spend considerable time tonight talking about activism in the era of government acknowledgement. The subject itself is not Looney Tunes. And I'm going to get into the angle tonight that it's not an accident that, in fact, it's the military, it's the DOD. It's the Defense Department. It's the executive branch acting under the aegis of the president as commander in chief, which has run point on this latest um, epic of disclosure. And that the civilian side of the House, which is NASA, has come second and even at the moment, a kind of a distant second. And we'll get into the details and parsing which road is more potentially um, uh, efficacious and is going to yield more fruit sooner because we don't have a lot of time. And I'll explain what I mean by that momentarily. Tonight, for you who are new to the show, and I've noticed that we've had a lot of uh, hits on the website uh, for the last uh, 24 or 48 hours, you want to go to the other side of midnight.com. You're probably already listening on that. And somewhere in your listing, either on your computer or your smartphone, there will be a banner which says the other side of midnight. And tonight it says, rather grandly, Hollywood Disclosure Alliance with our primary and sole guest tonight, Stephen Bassett. Click on that banner on the homepage. That will take you to the guest page. And under the guest page, you will see fast links to items. Click on my name. That takes you to the section of the page we title Radio with Pictures. And uh, there are several items there tonight. Let me actually refresh my screen so we get this properly loaded. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we are living in very, very perilous times. I have not felt this apprehensive of World War Three, a nuclear World War Three since the 1960s since like around you know when kennedy was assassinated but just before 
when he uh, was able to uh, negotiate a successful nuclear test ban treaty with then the archenemy of freedom democracy in the American way, the old Soviet Union, with its premier, with the chairman of the Soviet Union Communist Party, uh, Khrushchev. When they reached that agreement, a lot of people took a collective sigh of relief because the specter of nuclear war dramatically and visibly receded when we reached that agreement, when Kennedy reached that agreement with the Soviet Union. This afternoon, uh, bringing us full circle, uh, the current prime minister of Israel, Bibi Netanyahu, one of his cabinet, one of his really radical, racist, Nazi-fied, right-wing cabinet members, raised in an interview the specter of Israel basically eliminating the Gaza Strip and the Hamas problem by means of nuclear weapons. Now, it turns out that Netanyahu responded promptly and appropriately by basically um, suspending uh, his cabinet position. It's not a minister, uh, so I understand, who actually has access to nuclear weapons or even gets security briefings as to the uh, status of their readiness, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that, A, he acknowledged that they should simply eliminate the problem with a nuke or two, and B, that it should be basically to eliminate the Palestinians, the 2.2 million civilians living in the Gaza Strip, tells us two very, very important things. One is this minister is acknowledging for the first time officially, as part of the current Israeli government, that Israel possesses nuclear weapons. Many, many, many years ago, I was brought in to consult for one of our CBS uh, correspondents who literally flew physically to Berkeley, California to consult with me over the means of deployment uh, from South Africa of a nuclear weapon that was tested according to all the technical signatures uh, over the uh, South Pacific Ocean. And I had some certain information about a uh, private contractor who had been working uh, uh, on a delivery system that did not involve rockets. Well, we've come a long, long way since Israel, with its nuclear expertise, actually helped the South Africans develop their own nuclear technology. Tonight, we have a cabinet minister, you know, again, under Netanyahu, threatening the Gaza Strip with nuclear annihilation. This, of course, comes on the heels of Putin, you know, Vladimir Putin, who over the last uh, couple of years of the Ukraine war has repeatedly raised the same specter. We are closer tonight in terms of the atomic energy, uh, bulletin of atomic energy uh, scientists or bulletin of atomic scientists with their clock, you know, just before midnight, indicating the distance between now and nuclear Armageddon than we have ever been in the history of the bulletin keeping such a clock. And it only goes to show that if we ever needed full disclosure of the relationship of the human race to everybody else out there, 
and the fact that we have been estranged for decades, um, it is what's been going on in the last uh, month in Israel and Gaza. Because what we're seeing is such a disproportionate response to the horrific annihilation of 1,400 Israelis by Hamas you know, on October 7th. There are now close to, if not exceeded, 10,000 Palestinian deaths in Gaza as of tonight. 99.9% of them are civilians. If you look at the percentage of Hamas, which is roughly 30,000 fighters, so we're told, and then you kind of just double that, let's say it's 50 or 60,000. The percentage of those people working or steering or controlling or governing uh, the Gaza Strip under the, the aegis of Hamas is a minute fraction of the total number of civilians, half of which are children under the age of 18 in the Gaza Strip. We're, we're watching genocide. And of course, my mind goes to far beyond the conventional explanations. Because I'm wondering, and this is part of what I want to talk about with Steve tonight, we have been very, very volatile and um, uh, vociferous on the idea that all that's being held from us in this UFO ET vein should be disclosed. And we have our reasons out here. The in crowd, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, they have their reasons for not telling us. And I can't help looking at Israel tonight, what's happening in Ukraine, what happened in Lahaina, what happened in Hawaii a few years ago, what has happened consistently across the years of the hidden and suppressed reality of extraterrestrials doing really crazy things in our skies is the knowledge that the government, that the so-called deep state has, that some of those folks out there are not our friends. In fact, they are our enemies and they are trying to basically get rid of us. And what better way than to trigger through whatever extraterrestrial influences they possess? And remember Arthur Clarke's dictum, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Suppose you posit a technology which literally can control or at least heavily influence from outside the human mind. What if you could, with a technology sufficiently advanced, influence people like the leadership of Hamas to launch this extraordinarily annihilating Holocaust uh, of, of four weeks ago. Suppose you could equally influence the top government leaders in Israel to respond with a totally over-the-top disproportionate response. Suppose you could be doing the same thing with Putin and with Ukraine and other hotspots and suppose... It's all aimed at the ultimate objective of getting us, the human race, to quietly, well, not so quietly, by a nuclear technology, commit suicide and thereby eliminate the problem which has persisted for almost a century in the modern era of the isolation of the human race from everything else out there and everyone else and those that would, would covet planet Earth, or at least the silence of its currently dominant technological species. All of this 
has to be comes along with the ride. It has to be part of the conversation because the doorway that we have walked through into this new era of closure and the DOD setting up a specific office looking at the UAP UFO phenomenon and NASA on the civilian side of the house, so-called, doing the same thing. All of that is now on the table because our, our, our olive branch, our opening, our tendril of, of openness and disclosure is not from the civilian scientific side. It's from the military. Is that another Emily Dickinson code telling us, in fact, that our problem is not even so much with us as it is with something out there that is trying and is very close tonight to succeeding in making us the problem simply go away. And if there are any powers higher, all they can say is, well, they were too damn dumb not to kill themselves by suicide and nuclear weapons. Stephen Bassett is a political activist, a disclosure advocate, and the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, founded in 1996 to end a government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomena. I like the way he says that, because that, of course, includes artifacts. Anyway, you can read all the rest of his bio. You know, that's Stephen. He's been on the show a million times. I've known him for almost a million years. Uh, Stephen... We really need to have the conversation tonight. Are you there? Unmuting helps. Yes, there I you are. am here. Yes, yes. You know, sometimes all those switches get confusing, I know. <laughs> it's late. Uh, if, uh, it's always late when I do your show. <laughs> it's only 9 o'clock in California. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you, well, you've, you've recovering from this other bout of COVID, which I don't want to go into because I hate people with telling symptoms. But it was it was bad, and you're on the on the mend. But we obviously will make allowances. So, did you hear how I'm putting this conversation tonight in context? I think this is the most important conversation going on on the planet right now because it's the only thing big enough change the incredible stupidity of the human race. Well, I agree with that. Uh, absolutely. And I've said it many times. Uh, most of the other things you said I don't agree with. There's nothing unusual about that right there. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, it, what can I say? Uh, I, I never envisioned... Well, I knew things were going to get bad. I've been saying that for a long time, but I, you didn't know in what way. In other words, there's many ways that awful can happen. So not surprisingly, this particular set of circumstances, I must, I must admit, is fairly impressive. I mean, the human race has been, well, behaving badly forever. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, it just continues to get worse and worse and worse. I mean, we do what we can to to keep our numbers down, but it doesn't work. We keep we bred up to eight billion, and that includes all the effort the mosquitoes have gone into, and that that's their only job is culling out the large mammals. So God knows, I mean, we could get up to fifteen billion, but we won't because we kind of reached our limit. And in other words, you, it's like in life, you can become an addict, you can do a lot of things that are destructive, but only up to a point, in which case it ends. 
and that's true of societies, just as it is of people. And we have pushed it right to the limit. Uh, and the set of circumstances we face now is interesting, I must say. Um, well, when, and, when, when you say you disagree with what I said, I'm saying we're having help crossing the cliff and diving into the ocean like lemmings. Yeah, and if, I disagree. If, if, if you were a bad ET, yeah, would, if, would you acknowledge figure. that there could be bad ETs? Again, there's bad and there's bad. If we're well, bad about meaning ET, they want to extinguish the human race. They're again. absolute ultimate genocidal racists out there. Okay. I, I, All right. I have so, absolutely zero confidence in that being the case. Why? Why? Zero. Look at human history. Again, human history. I'm, I'm talking, yeah, but you're about, thinking, we're talking about ETs. Yeah, but you're thinking – again, ET is not the proper term. You're thinking aliens. I'm thinking human family no longer on Earth but extraterrestrial because of where they hang their hat. Well, we're getting into deeper into the woods. Uh, I just don't – those premises do not carry with me. They don't hold up. Uh, and I don't support them. It's that simple. Well, that obviously uh, then is your choice, but I would like to believe that reality is not about choices, it's about finding out. If I, in, I if try in to fact, deal with reality if, all the time. If, in fact, the human race has enemies, and it, they've been kept in check by some kind of federation or empire or whatever, is still, we're still here. In terrestrial geopolitics, there come these breakpoints where you know, the guardrails collapse and the worst happens. We're looking at the Mideast tonight. Why would that not, that same model, be true on a galactic scale, given Look, that given that ETs, aliens, are as biological, if they're in three dimensions, as the rest of us, they've been subject to the same laws of, you know, um, uh, uh, you know cat, cat and dog, you know, tooth and nail, evolution, selection of the fittest, all of that, and just on another planet, another solar system, or many. And if those folks developed technology and, and had the same kind of militaristic bent that all kinds of human cultures have had, again, what is to say that, that the first contact we make is not with the good guys, but the bad guys? Is that a question? Well, yeah. What is to say is the evidence we have regarding the extraterrestrial presence, and we have a great deal. Uh, many people don't fully appreciate that because the government has claimed that there's nothing there, so there can be no evidence for it. But of course, that's all changing now. And so I sit in a room with about 500 books, probably 5,000 have been written about this subject over the last 70 years. Um, and we have thousands of contactees that have come forward in various ways. We have, their, we have the behavior of ETs. There are a lot of things they do, which we are quite well aware of. We know a great deal about them. And uh, when you look at what we know, you, that's not the conclusion that I would come to. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we, hang on, hang on, hang on. We, we only know a selected data set. We know from human reports from those that are abducted. We know from patterns of lights in the sky and you know, yeah. photography and other technological means to verify spacecraft, et cetera, et cetera. If there was someone here that wanted to do us in, why would they make a frontal attack? Why would they try to invade? Why would they not try to subvert and let us do it from ourselves? Because they're coming from a technological base, which allows that kind of control of mind and spirit and choice. Why, would, they, why would we even know they exist? 
if they're in the shadows and very nicely never let us know that they're out there. Dick, look, he said we have a limited data set. Yeah, it's limited, of course. Hopefully it'll grow. But that's the data set we have. But it's not and uniform. It's not, it's not even scale. It, in other words, I'm, I'm, I'm arguing that it's canted in the direction of the good guys who are trying to keep us alive. And the bad guys will never let us know they're there until it's too late. And the good guys may be in some kind of some agreement where, you know, it's like the, it's like the um, uh, you know, prime directive. They can't let us know they're bad guys for some reason. Well, if the bad guys uh, want to provide lots of evidence for how bad they are, I'll take it into consideration. Well, we have human mutilations going back to the 1940s. Again, I want to see that evidence. Well, talk to to Linda Moulton Howe. She is our resident expert on the planet in in Well, I'm not unfamiliar with Linda Moulton Howe, and, and uh, and I'm not that familiar that she has been putting out an extensive case for lots of human uh, mutilations. Uh, But look, I work from the data set that is known to me. I have no interest in the endless possible speculations about what could be untold numbers of species in the galaxy and what they could do or not do. I'm interested in what we know and what we can expect. All that speculation really doesn't accomplish much other than it's an intellectual exercise. Certainly in a post-disclosure world, as we learn more information, then of course we'll expand our assessment of these ETs. And maybe we'll learn something that says, oh my God, they've been manipulating us forever. Ultimately, they want us to all die and go away. Maybe, but I don't think so. Yeah, but right, think too is much not evidence know. to the country. Think is not I, no. If, if well, you nobody were, knows. If you were, ah, sure. but... But remember, species stay alive by being paranoid. Gaza has been referred to as the world's largest open-air prison. A model I am presenting, you know, putting forth, is that in terms of certain ETs, aliens, the Earth is the largest open-air prison. And you don't let the prisoners know they're in prison if you have the technology to make them think they're free. Remember Charles Fort? who wrote a book called The Book of the Damned. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, Charles Fort said somewhere in that book that we are property. Huh. That was well, an interesting point that he made, but uh, I, did, I don't see the support for but it. But again, if, I don't you're, think if, he had it. if you're dealing with a selected data set where you know you don't have the whole truth, exactly, it would be dumb not to be paranoid and think outside the box. I can cite you examples in the last few years of what clearly looked to me like evidence of extraterrestrial intervention in a very negative way, which are constantly dismissed as by the conspiratorialists as the deep state. Like, you know, somewhere deep in the U.S. government, we would kill our own citizens like what happened in Lahaina. The signatures of the weapon, whoa, 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 the whoa, signatures whoa, whoa. of what were used to yeah. burn Lahaina are identical to the signatures we see in New York that brought down the World Trade Towers, and I'm not talking weaponry that we even understand. I'm talking technology capable of disintegrating matter and turning cars to toast Dick, and leaving you bits want of to, paper right alongside untouched. Dick, if the point of our discussion tonight is for you to present a, your entire cosmic worldview, fine. If it's to have a discussion, we've got to go to a different direction. But let me make a clear point. Well, we both have not, our positions. I just want to I know, nail but down I just, but you, I, 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 but you, are, you are Pollyanna, and I am trying not to be. 
And if we're going to, and if we're, well, because if you don't acknowledge there are bad guys in the universe, you know, you haven't ever talked to a metaphysician. I didn't say there weren't bad guys in the universe. There may be. You said we have no evidence. And I think we we have abundant evidence. We don't have evidence to support the kinds of speculations that you're putting forward. But let me, before we go forward, I want to make a very clear point. Okay. I do not believe for one microsecond that what happened in Lahaina was anything other than extraordinary events due to the weather and due to other circumstances. Lahaina wasn't destroyed by Jewish space lasers or anything else. It was destroyed by an extraordinary fire uh, as a result of several circumstances. Now, other people can think what they want, but there's no way I'm going to be in a show where somebody says that and I remain silent, making people think that, oh, yeah, well, Steve thinks that could be possible. No, I do not. Why would, you, why, would any, why would anybody think that you share my data set? Because you obviously don't. You have not looked at it like I have. Well, I just emphasized that I don't share that data set. That's fine. You, know? you, you were There's totally, time, right. you totally open to disagree. When you have to, you have to speak up, not always. Okay, uh, let, me, let, me give you another, let me give you another really interesting wrinkle. I presume mm-hmm. you've been following. We've got about four minutes till the bottom of the hour. So I'll tell you, let me, let me save this um, mm-hmm. until the past the break because it's important in the context of what's going on, who knows what, and what can the human race collectively do about it? And I think, you know, the idea that we have intelligence splitting around that's not interacting with, with consciousness here, I just find unbelievable. You know, who would spend thousands of years just looking at another species and never try to interfere or interact or manipulate to try to produce whatever outcome, good or bad? Well, they do interact with us. Well, we only know the story of those that are openly interacting. We don't well, know the story of those who are not. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, the unknown unknowns. So we have a selective data set. Yeah, we okay, all have a selective all right. data set. So That's true in everything, including one of my, Well, one of my questions is, how can we get more data? Well, disclosure would help. Yeah, but if, if – all right, we are so close, but we've been close for a long time. How do we push it over the edge? Which, of course, is my way of segueing in the next uh, segment to your launching of this very interesting and I think really critical Hollywood Disclosure Alliance. Because, frankly, I think the real war is going to be won at the level of people's consciousness and awareness of the facts. And that means Hollywood. Well, I'm not at war. Uh, I'm an activist, but I'm not at war. War is bad, and I'm not going to participate in any. Uh, but uh, uh, the, the situation now is actually disclosure is being delivered up to us. The government is actually taking care of this for us, and we don't really have to push so much. It's, it's just kind of get out of the way and maybe thank them a lot for the things that they're doing. This is almost over, uh, uh, and that's something that I've talked about extensively and caught probably 200 interviews in the last couple of years. And I'm happy to repeat my thinking on this. But everything that's happening, everything I'm following keeps confirming it month after month. Well, what I see, and I'm looking at it obviously from an outside perspective, is a very uh, – what was, what was the term that uh, – what's her name used in um, uh, The Iron Man? A hot mess. There, there are so many conflicting stories in the UFO, UAP conversation that sure. nobody knows what to believe 
and I well, think, and I think. Yeah. Let me finish the thought, and then yeah, we'll go to yeah. a break, and then we'll come back, and we can have you know a half hour of fun and, and whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that if someone was trying to confuse everybody, so real disclosure does not take place on the timeline that's required. That would be one of the things that fifth columnists, humans that are not working maybe for humanity, would be doing assiduously here on Earth. What We're talking this morning with Stephen Bassett, who is my prime guest, my sole guest for the next three hours, actually two and a half. What I want to grapple with is if it's so critical to the existence, continued existence of humanity, that disclosure proceed at full pace, how can we, on the outside, make it over the finish line? How can we accelerate it? What do we need to do as citizens to push the river? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, the 5th of November of 2023. Is everyone aware that exactly 365 and a quarter days from tonight, the 2024 election, perchance the most important election in my lifetime, if not the most important election maybe in the last 243 whatever years since the country was born, is going to take place and do not pay any attention to the polls the polls are crazy the polls are you know clickbait for news organizations that have hundreds of hours to fill and so they talk endlessly about the polls what we really should be focusing on is what's going on in the world and somehow making the whole disclosure controversy and challenge part of the 2024 campaign. 
Stephen? Yes. Well, what do you think? Should we? Can we? How do we do it? Where I think things are going is that uh, we're still on a time – I think we still have time to get the disclosure thing out of the way before the campaigns get underway in earnest, which I'll set at the the weeks leading up to the first primary, wherever the hell that is. Um, There is plenty of time. Well, the Iowa caucuses are in February. No. Yeah, right. It, so it, it all starts then. And, never been and, much of a fan of the Iowa caucuses, and, but, but yeah, but, February. Yeah, but, yeah, but remember, the mainstream is not you and me. I know. Trump yeah. is going to win the caucus. He's going to have a clean, you know, runway to to the nomination. He is a lead pipe cinch. There's nobody else on the on the runway who can even match him. He's at what, forty five, forty eight, or something like that. Overwhelming. The question is about the other side, Biden. You know, there are serious questions about Biden's health. His age, he has so far operated brilliantly, but can that continue for another four years? Is there a fallback position? In other words, we could be looking at, by default, another Trump presidency. Well, we've wandered off the point. No, we haven't, because is Trump going to decide to go along with disclosure like the guy in the current White House who has a piece of ET technology in the Oval Office from NASA? but the point was, right, uh, is uh, how might disclosure uh, uh, connect up with the campaign, right? And I'm saying, again, that there's still time to get disclosure done before the campaign gets underway in earnest, which, again, I, I'll, I'll say that's the, the lead up to the uh, Iowa caucus. The, the, the NDA bill, which is quite extraordinary <clears> – <throat> Is was pushed back uh, because of the uh, Michigash going on in the House, so it's slated to be uh, mid mid December. They're going to reconcile it, vote on it, and it would be signed by the president on December 21. Uh, now, of course, there is potential that there's going to be another uh, substantial distraction over funding the government. Now, the NDAA bill is not the same thing as funding the government bill. It's kind of separate. You could, you could pass the NDA even if you didn't fund the government. It's an authorization. It authorizes the way things are going to go. It doesn't necessarily raise the money. So, again, we do have a mess here in terms of a political mess. Is has has somewhat its own origin. It, 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 it's not ET related in any way. Uh, it just happens to be the circumstances. However – um, ultimately, uh, the whole thing could be force majeure, meaning we have the witnesses ready to testify before the appropriate committee, which is the Senate Intel. If those witnesses are allowed to come in and testify under oath before the Senate Intel Committee, that testimony will blow the truth embargo up. It'll be the end, and it will set the stage for the government, to, for the president, to simply confirm the AT presence. It's completely nonpolitical. It has nothing to do with Republicans or Democrats. Uh, and the only thing preventing it from happening is, is Mark Warner. Mark Warner can call that hearing anytime he wants to. The witnesses are ready to testify, I assure you. Well, the problem, I, the problem I have, Stephen, is that we're all being incredibly distracted by something incredibly serious, which is the Hamas-Israeli yeah, war. Yeah, and, and, and the whole – no, no, no. World-ending World War III events are not always something. They now have two major wars since World War II. To going on right now tonight. 
Both of them have people threatening nukes as yeah. part of one side. Well, that's never happened in my lifetime. Uh, you know, it's pretty well. Khrushchev would, 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 was pounding the table and talking well, about that. But look, the point you're making is legitimate. Thank uh, you. Thank you. The, so the, what, the I first... want, what I want you to know is how can we not wait for the political process to catch up, but move the political process? There's not much we can do at this point. In other words, everything has been put in place. The last piece uh, that needed to be put in place was the legislation, the legislation that uh, is we're waiting, hopefully, to be, to be signed in December. That Then it's all done. But that's not disclosure. In order to get set the president up to be able to disclose, we've got to have that hearing. Now, again, no matter what's going on in the world, there there is technically nothing preventing Mark Warner from from having that hearing. Except um, distraction. Again, again, there's nothing. A distraction doesn't prevent him. It could be an excuse. So not you're saying to. the fate of humanity rests on one person, Mark Warner. I happen to think that Mark Warner literally stands on the cusp of history right now like few ever had. Whether he knows it or not, I don't know. I'd love to talk to him, but I'm not one of the people that gets invited to soirees on the Hill. Uh, but the fact is that he can call this hearing at any time. Now, this point has come up several times in my previous uh, uh, presentations or, or talks, uh, and it's always the same point, and I get it. And my answer is always the same. <clears throat> Everything that is happening right now that we don't like, uh, which obviously includes the bl- massive blowup in the Middle East, the statements being made by various people that are pretty much over the top, these still ongoing war in Ukraine, all of that, as well as the political mess in the United States. All of that is exactly the reason why Mark Warner needs to call the hearing, because none of that can prevent it. There's no way that anybody in the Middle East can prevent Mark Warner from calling a hearing. The president can't even prevent it. And so if he calls that hearing, it opens, it sets the stage for the president to confirm it could happen within a within a week or two, tops. Okay, so now if the confirmation comes from the president, disclosure is out of the way. It could be early January. It could be mid-January, but it won't be in December because, again, the bill hasn't been signed. It's been pushed back. And so we could be, say, the end of January, we've got, we've got the confirmation. Now, we still have a mess in the Middle East. We still have Ukraine. We still have insane politics. All right? Uh, and we still have a tremendous threat of nuclear war. However, that we have that now, except in that case, we will be in the post-disclosure world, and we'll be able to address all of these horrendous problems from, I'm pretty confident, a very different perspective. So we're hinging all this on hearings in the Senate and the Intel Committee yes. that have not been scheduled, are not on the on the radar. No one we knows don't know is, We don't know, of course. But you we don't Gillibrand, but you, but Gillibrand, you, Gillibrand said there would be some. But we know there's, under, there's what, been, under what time frame? She didn't give a time frame, but she said there was going to be one of the Intel Committee. But then there were some odd things that happened, and most of that involved David Grush. We did get a hearing in the in the uh, the House, yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't the one we were supposed to have, and it created a little distraction. But overall, there's been no indication whatsoever that the Intel Committee of the Senate was not going to hold a hearing. We do know that Turner, who is the head of the Intel Committee in the House, after a lot of foo that 
followed the the the, the subcommittee hearing with David Grush and Fravor and and and, and uh, Graves that there would be no hearings in the House and a lot of, no more on that subject. A lot of people misinterpreted that. I think they thought that this was the House saying, "Oh yeah, we got to shut this down. We can't go into the subject." No, I, that's not it. I think he was reflecting some backroom discussions in which he was kind of told, look, this thing has got to happen in the Senate. It's got to happen in front of the Senate intel. We cannot have any more House hearings. This is way bigger than that. It's not that the House isn't important. It is. But not everything is suitable for every situation. There are protocols. And I think he recognized that and he shut that down, which was another way of saying the next hearing has got to be in front of the Senate intel committee. So – I know enough about what's happening behind the scenes. I have some some access, not direct, but indirect. That things are kind of moving along pretty well. Uh, well, I and, would beg to differ because yeah. we have a new bizarre right wing idiot speaker of the House, mm-hmm. a, a Christian nationalist, who has put forth a bill that was voted on by the Republican majority to basically give aid to Israel only if. 14 whatever billion is subtracted from the IRS funding under the uh, uh, previous uh, Biden law, which would gut it in terms of going after billionaires who are not paying taxes. And there is a loggerhead between the House and the Senate. The Senate has a much more bipartisan uh, idea, which involves Ukraine, Taiwan, southern border. You know, it's kind of like an omnibus for national security. And there's going to be this food fight going on for maybe months between this right-wing speaker and his Republican you know, coterie and the Senate, and they will have no time to think of anything else because this is priority, again, World War III. Well, I disagree. First of all, I wasn't precise. When I said things are going well, I wasn't referring to any of what you just talked about. I'm referring to the disclosure process underway. Uh, all right, let me stop It's going there. forward Hang pretty on. well. Talk about how it's going because all we're hearing here in the peanut gallery is that nobody can agree on anything. Arrow is claiming that nothing that Grush said was real. It was all lies. There's food fights all over the place, people taking sides, the usual confusion of war, you know, the fog of war, and no one knows who to believe. So how is that progress? Well, first of all, that's not what's going on. Uh, it's quite a bit different than that. Then please tell us. Well, okay. First, and we will eventually get to Abby Loeb, but this is more important. Go ahead. Oh well, if you insist. But the point is, is that uh, the uh, the legislation, the extraordinary legislation, which anybody can go read, it's up on the. You mean the in, in in this latest version of the NDAA? That's right. Which is it's not law ex- yet, and doesn't look like it's going to become law, given the uh, food fights. Again, uh, the passing of the NDAA is not uh, the same thing as the, uh, the, the, the spending bill. And so and – and, and everybody has admitted that the issue is bipartisan. It's not political. And so the idea that, that they're going to they, – they may hold up the spending issue. They, this may go brinksmanship, but I, I'm not assuming that they're going to hold up the NDA bill because after all, that is the National Defense Authorization Act. Look at Tuberville, what kind of an idiot he has been – in holding up 350 high-level appointments of the military that requires Senate confirmation, and we just had the commandant of the Marine Corps 
you know, go to the hospital because of a heart attack because he's working two jobs simultaneously. And Tuberville, who is threatening national security, will not move. Well, Tuberville is utterly irrelevant to the NDAA. And he can't block it. That's a special circumstance. I really don't care what Tuberville is doing. Well, wait, do we, do, do we know that for a fact? That yeah. He, that one senator cannot block? I thought he could put a hold on anything. One senator yeah. in terms of yeah. current rules. There's special circumstances with respect to appointments. And he's taking advantage of those. But I just don't care about him. He's irrelevant. Well, so, I'm looking at his potential influence on the NDAA that we know has this language, you know, from Prumer, basically creating another step forward, a major step, right? Look, that language has been up uh, on the Senate side for a long time. Uh, it's gotten great reviews from people. Social media loves it. The people love it. Everybody is happy about it. And overall, it's pretty much outside of all the other nonsense that's going on. And again, uh, just as uh, Rothman, I think it's Rothman, I forget his name, the, the, the chairman of the Oversight Committee, uh, greenlit a subcommittee hearing. In the Senate, you mean? In the House. Oh, okay. And you had that subcommittee hearing. And there was nothing that could have stopped it. He put it together, he put it together in six days. Okay? So, again, there is absolutely nothing to prevent uh, Mark, or not Mark, yeah, Mark Warner, from bringing the witnesses in and having the hearing that we've been heading for all this time. Nothing. Now, if you want to make up excuses, I mean, if he doesn't want to do it, uh, then he can come up with whatever excuses he wants. But we have no indication that he doesn't want to, but we know it hasn't happened yet. And I think one of the the aspects that uh, I wasn't factoring in early, of course, I've, I've been pressing to get it as soon as possible, even ahead of the legislation, because we can't get it done soon enough as far as I'm concerned. But that legislation is so profound that it would be nice if that legislation would pass. For people who have not been following this, like you and I, mm-hmm. let's talk about the legislation. What is it that we think will really move the ball down the field if this, if this NDAA is in fact enacted as law? Uh, it's, it's profound on so many levels. I actually have. We have time. We have it, time. I put it into a PDF file and highlighted it, and uh, uh, you can actually, you know, it's, it, it can be. It's, it's a web page, and I could get a link to you maybe through the chat here. Okay. It's not not a long link, uh, but one of the most important things that this legislation d- does, and this was what was put in the bill by Schumer. And again, people that are not following too closely are just not going to appreciate how profound it is. That's why because, I have you here. Go for it. <laughs> so when Grush comes forward on June the 5th, out of nowhere, God, it's I, didn't see, I didn't see him. I didn't see him coming. Good grief. Time uh, very few people saw him coming. I, there was a whole bunch of researchers and what have you at the contact in the desert. A conference in Indian Wells, which there's going to be another one coming up May 30 next year, uh, who didn't see it coming. And so he comes forward and for the various reasons we all know, he, he states under oath initially in an interview, uh, both a print and, and, and television on, on News Nation. On, I think it was New, yeah, News Nation. News Nation. That uh, he has talked with quite a few people 
to confirm what he was told by several insiders, USAP people, people that are working in the unacknowledged programs, that we have crashed vehicles, more than one, and we have bodies. And then he talked to about 30 others and got essentially what for him was substantial additional corroboration. He was able to do this because he's working for the UAP task force, and basically it was kind of his job. Uh, he wasn't happy with the way that it was handled. He was also very unhappy because he got attacked internally because he was he got out ahead of this the process, kind of cut in line in a way or whatever, and and eventually he ends up being a whistleblower. Well, and he comes did, didn't he file a suit with the Inspector General of the DOD? He filed a claim with the intel, uh, Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, which he he won in a sense that they agreed that he was being harassed and they took measures, but there's no way to completely stop harassment. It's like getting uh, what do they call them? Um, uh, uh, you know, these uh, orders that people have to stay away from you. What do you call them? I forget the name. Um, yeah, it's, it's called ostracization. No, it's it's a, uh, a, a a court order that someone has to stay away from you, but they rarely work. Anyway, the point is, is that uh, he came forward and and essentially confirmed Roswell and confirmed that we had bodies and technology. He did it under oath. And he wasn't the only person that went to any lengths to kind of push back on that was Kirkpatrick. And that's a whole nother story. We talk about the head of the DOD arrow program on UAPs. That's right. And we can get into that a little bit later. He's not the janitor. In other words, when the key. I didn't say he was. Yeah, but most people outside who don't follow this day to day, they basically see claim and counterclaim. You know, claim is rush. Counterclaim is he's crazy. Literally, he went in for mental health treatment at one point. Well, that wasn't Kirkpatrick. That was released by somebody else. His medical file was released. That was a separate matter. But this was pushback against Grush. Yeah. So the fact is a couple of things. Oh, by the way, that thing is called a restraining order. Exactly. Uh, And that's basically what they came through. The IG, the IG, the uh, uh, intelligence community provided him, but it's not, it didn't work. So, um, uh, so, but overall, he has not been refuted. The DOD has not refuted him. I'm not, I'm not about Arrow and Perkratrick, just the DOD. The DOD has not refuted him. The Senate Intel Committee has refuted him. The Air Force hasn't refuted him. And in fact, and the members of the Congress were quite satisfied with uh, what he said. Uh, and many of these members. Well, have when he was before pretty- the Burchett committee, he kept saying, "Well, I can't really talk about this in ocean session, open session." So they he went to. About- so they went to a private meeting, I believe. Is that correct? Not exactly. He, there were things he could not talk about, but even when he said he couldn't talk about it, it was pretty pretty impressive because I mean it confirmed a lot of things. Did they have the private meeting? I, I, apparently, I don't think they did. I don't Luna, think they did. Burchett, you know the. the- they the weren't able to get a skiff right away, so I don't think they had it, but eventually they did get a skiff, but it was weeks later. This is a very complicated event, the whole thing, and it was not supposed to happen, and it created a lot of uh, issues. Of course, it also put the whole bodies and uh, ET tech thing right out and hung it over the entire Washington, D.C., and so in that sense, uh, Grush pretty much locked the back door for any uh, anti-disclosure people to somehow uh, get this thing and slip out the back door with it. He basically shut that. So there was just no way out. And so I'll have to go forward. So in that he served, you know, I think history pretty well, but he wasn't, he wasn't refuted. So now the issue of bodies and tech is now in play. 
and it's being written up in articles all over the United States and the UK and elsewhere. I have those articles linked on my site. I'm up to 1,650 articles for just this year alone. Okay, so that happens. And that happens on June the 5th. 39 days later, on July the 14th, is when Chuck Schumer comes forward out of nowhere. Nobody saw it coming, just like they didn't see Grush coming. And states there's language that he is putting in that bill. The sponsor was Reed, Senator Reed. But he, he is, he, as the Senate Majority Leader, he has the ability to put that language out to go yeah, into course. a bill. And well, he also language, has the ability, Stephen, if he wanted to really push the issue, he simply says to Warner, hold the damn hearing. I don't think he can force Warner to hold it, but he could certainly lean on him. What he did do was come out uh, on July the 14th and say, I'm putting some language in this bill. number of things, but the most important language, it, it, he went to some lengths to, to, to state so to make sure that everybody got the message, was this bill was going to claim language that and was going to claim in legislative language, make it clear that any non-human, of course, they're using words which are not going to get people to overreact, but everybody knows what non-human technology means. <laughs> and I, I, don't think, I don't think porpoises are creating spaceships. The point is, is that non-human technology that may exist uh, out there in the United States, in the hands of anybody, including any corporations or gov- uh, you know, government contractors, belongs to the United States. It's U.S. property. It's eminent domain. And he goes further. He states that after in a certain length of time, about 300 days from the signing of the bill. Which is almost that, a year. Which doesn't matter. I mean, he could have said 30 days, could have said 300, could have said 3,000. It doesn't matter. It's just process. He's saying that uh, we want a report from everybody that has any of that. So if you've got a saucer 50 feet, uh, levels under – you know, uh, Barry 51 or, or one of these other bases, uh, you've got to report that you have it, right? And that report's going to get forwarded up through the ranks and it's going to get to us. We want a full accounting of all the non-human tech you have and bodies. So eminent domain ha- it means pretty much what it means. I mean, it's, it's, it's ours. Don't think it isn't. And if we want it, we will have it. But, but first we want to report. because it's reported up the chain, does it become public? Again, that simply the fact that it's getting reported at all would be enormously significant, but more, more important than that. Not if we don't know about it. Uh, not, well, I'll get to that in a second. Not if you can be hung Dick. for national security leakage if you leak. Oh, yeah, we got spaceships. Again, there's more to the bill than I'm talking about. You're getting ahead of it. Okay. So essentially, what, what did he do there? Schumer. Yeah, when the, when the Senate majority leader comes out and says, we're going to include language in a bill – that covers this non-human technology thing. Which basically is putting into law the Grush statement. It confirms the Grush statement. If there, if there was absolutely no non-human technology, as the government would have assessed for it for 70 years, there's absolutely no way you wouldn't put that language in a bill. It would be ridiculous. But by doing that, by putting it out there, he confirms Grush. He's saying, yeah, he's, he's telling the truth. Which confirms Roswell, which confirms the government's known about this since 76 years, At least. which is everything we've been saying. All right. And so this is extraordinary what he did there. And a lot of people it's think, extraordinary well, wait, if it becomes law. No, not necessarily. In fact, 
It doesn't have to become law, and still it'll have major impact. Why? Because he did it, and then that language was posted on the website right. of the Senate, where it's been sitting for months and read by countless people around the world, and available to anybody. In other words, if you were if you were an absolutely totally classified USAP person working on alien craft, right? It, uh, not now. All you have to do is go online, go to the website, and you can read exactly what what uh, Schumer just put out there. So everybody which isn't relevant until it becomes law, because they can't uh-uh. come out and say, "Oh, look, look over here, let's see what we got." No, no, Dick, it is quite relevant. It is a then message tell me to how. every. Tell me how. Because the Senate Majority Leader has just said, "I would like to see language." that puts eminent domain on all non-human technology, crash vehicles and bodies, which sends a message that one, he supports crush, two, he supports everything the Senate Intel Committee has been doing. He supports the disclosure process and he's putting everybody on notice. So, so, even so hang, if, on, hang on, hang on, hang he, on. He put this forward on July 14th, right? Correct. It's now November 5th. Mm-hmm. Why hasn't there been a stampede of insiders saying, hey, I got a piece of wreckage over here. Nothing. It's, because it's that's, crickets. That's, no, no. That would be ridiculous. He has put it out there, the stat, what, what the government's position is on the non-human tech that we've all known we have, but of course the government's position, no, we don't. So he's confirming we have it. He's confirming it's important, and he's confirming that I'm prepared to take eminent domain on that. So he sent this message. So even if the law – even if that language is stripped out of the bill, he knows exactly what he's doing because he knows the message has still been sent, and they could pass that legislation anytime they want to. It doesn't have to be part of an NDA. It could be a bill passed in January or February. He has really sent an incredibly important message to the entire military intelligence and but civilian complex. You just complex. said it doesn't have to be enacted. It's important just that he said it or that he put it, it in the record. One, the message has been sent, and that's extremely important, and he's on the record. Two – just because it doesn't get passed in the NDA bill, that legislation could be resubmitted to the House and passed as a separate bill any time. All right. So the, the 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 situation dramatically changes at that point. So he comes out on the 14th. It only and which really set things on fire. It only took the House 12 days to put that committee uh, subcommittee hearing together and get Grush in there and get him on the record under oath. That follows. So tell you what, we, got... are, we are at the top of the hour. Hold it there. My guest this morning, and we're having the conversation, is Stephen Bassett. We're discussing about how do we, how do we cross this damn finish line? It's like, you know, we're right almost, we're almost in Allentown, and it keeps receding. As long as we see it, it keeps getting farther and farther away, not closer and closer, at least perceptually. And when we come back, you know, we're going to get to Abby Loeb. Don't worry. I want to talk about Burchette and um, uh, Luna. And they did get to a skiff. And all kinds of weird stuff came out about that that uh, was not encouraging. Anyway, we're talking tonight about the disclosure process of going from most people thinking that this stuff, this claim is science fiction, bodies, alien spacecraft. Government owns them. Government has known this for decades and decades and kept it secret. We're going from that to when it becomes open public 
knowledge. And citizens can react. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, November 5th, literally one year from the 2024 election. Get ready. You, know, you can vote early when they open the polls, etc. Don't sit this one out. This one is the most important election of our lifetime, bar none. Anyway, back to our conversation. Um, Stephen, uh, tell you what, let me just open the mic here and please continue. Unmuting helps. So, in the space of just a short amount of time, Grush goes public in an interview on a national network. Uh, the same material is covered in an article in the debrief, which is uh, include the, one of the authors was a Pulitzer Prize winner, Ralph Blumenthal. And then, 39 days later, the, the Senate majority leader essentially provides his full imprimatur to that, confirming it, as well as other things, right? He's sending a message to the Senate that we're, I'm perfectly fine with what you, you uh, nice men and women are doing down there, all right? Uh, all of that happens in uh, uh, this time span, from June 5 to July 26. Uh, and so there's that. Now, if you take time to uh, really read the bill, and I'll, I'll try to get into it in a little bit. I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. I should have it up any any moment. It's uh, it's basically a PDF file, and I'll find it. There is a lot in that bill that's a little harder to understand. But when you when you when you if you read it, that's why you're here. 
what you find out is something very extraordinary and very critical. There it is. I've got it right here. Okay. By the way, (laughs) they had to name this this amendment, this act, Section 9002. They had to give it a name. They could have called it anything, any number of ways they could have named it. Here's what they called it. Section 9001, short title. This division, referring to section, may be cited as the UAP Disclosure Act of 2023. Mm-hmm. They called it the Disclosure Act. Yeah. Now, you, you don't think they don't know what disclosure means to us? Of course they and know. And that that word has been in play. And so by doing no, that… No, no, this is so Emily Dickinson. I am totally with you that this is Schumer yeah. being very high-level… Art yeah, form right. politics. Okay. This is this is politics as art. Well, it's it is you know, what it is. It, that's the name of the bill. Anyway, what this bill does, the, the most important part of this bill, is it sets up pretty much all the necessary mechanisms to provide for information flow, starting all the way down at the deepest classified world. All the way up into the uh, – through the system, through the pipeline uh, with various checkpoints along the way, all the way to the National Archives. And so if if it read one way, what it's basically saying is eventually everything that we know and have about the ET issue in terms of documents is going to work its way up and end up in the National Archives where anybody can go in and look it over. Along the way, of course, plenty is going to be revealed. Uh, in other words, they've set up the mechanisms to get the information out, everything at, 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 in the appropriate time, and not everything is going to have the same time frame. One of the things that is mentioned in the bill, which people sort of know about but haven't given enough consideration, is that they really brought the White House into this. The White House has wanted to stay out of this all along. It's gone to great lengths to do that. It was dragged into the issue over the Chinese balloon fiasco. I get it. And they had to speak to it. But then that kind of disappeared and they kind of stood back. However, this bill brings them right to the forefront. It calls for a nine-person uh, committee. To, that will be in the in the uh, executive branch. A presidential commission. A presidential committee, That's and very their good. job. That's really good. They, no, no, no. They, you're right up there. That's really super good. Yeah, they are. They are actually being put together now, right? And sure, there's plenty of debate about who sh- who, who should be on and who shouldn't. That was my that. next question. Act- Do we know who's on the short list? No. No, but I know that there is there is uh, a process underway, and it's uh, it's debate. There's a debate. Who 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 should be on? Who should? Do we know the types of people they're looking at? Uh, yeah, they're looking at the kind of people you would imagine: military, PhDs, Ivy Loeb types, whatever. Uh, what it'll eventually be, I don't know. The point is, is this committee's job? How about like Supreme Court justices? Or I don't think so. This committee's job is very. It, it plays a critical role. Didn't the in Warren this... Commission have a Supreme Court justice running the Presidential Commission? <laughs> Dick, um, if, it, uh, if it's important, Steve, I'm trying to guess how the White House looks at this as important as opposed to the Senate or the House. If you're talking about a committee whose job it is <laughs> to <laughs> to uh, 
uh, as part of this process of getting information from the deepest levels and up and out and into the pipeline, leading eventually to, well, the, to the national president. archives. To the president, it, 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 right? it's going to be it's going it's going to be people who have the kind of credentials to assess that kind of information logically. Okay. Well, except uh, hang on, hang on. If you're lead, if you're dealing at the presidential level, the only guy in our republic elected by everybody in you know in the United States. He's the ultimate, you know, the buck stops there. If you're dealing with reality and confirmation that the human race is in contact with other races, other species, other con- – there should be a political and a cultural component on any commission that's going to come out and say that. It can't just be all technicians. I, I'm not saying – I'm just saying in, it's going to be people that are appropriate for assessing a broad range of highly classified information to decide what is going to go forward, what's going to be held back, and so forth. Uh, it, it, it's going to be nonpartisan, and its job is part of this information flow. This has never happened before, and this is very important. But it's not the only thing that's being set up to facilitate this process. So lots of rules. So, Laura, the t- technical question. Why yeah. does Schumer have to put this in the NDAA? Why can't Biden, like he did with the balloon thing, simply appoint his own damn commission? Because then the White House has now stepped in proactively into the whole disclosure process. And that so this is, is not- having your cake and eating it too. I, I don't know about cake, Dick, but I, I know that the, the White House does not want to get into this and politicize it. You see, that's what Clinton was asked to do by by uh, Rockefeller. In other words, I'll help you. We'll have some meetings. I'll provide information and evidence. We'll do some reports, and I want you to take these and go beat down, you know, on the beat on the door, of the Pentagon, and get the Pentagon to give the stuff to us. Let's get the files out. I understand that's probably the only option they had at the way, but that that is the president, a, a member of a particular party, demanding and trying to pull out of the, the Pentagon uh, highly classified information, totally politicized, never had a chance in hell. This is, of course, not what's happening now. What's happening now is that it's all being done in a pretty nonpartisan way with cooperation from many agencies. Do we know how McConnell feels about all this? He hasn't expressed any particular, he hasn't expressed any negatives about it, but I'm not I don't think he said anything at all. Hmm. He's been staying off to the side on that. When you say bipartisan, if he's not on board, it's not going to work, right? Not necessarily, uh, but it is a by bi- everybody acknowledges a bipartisan issue. Uh, there's a c- complete agreement on that. Uh, is it possible to politicize it? Yeah, but it's really hard, and there's so many other things that could be politicized in a second that that's not going to happen to this issue. I don't expect it. It's one of the most important things about this issue. We desperately need a bipartisan um, um, matter of great import that will allow people to act like human beings again and work together. This would be extremely helpful, and they now have that if they intend to use it, and I think that they do. So. So again, this this legislation, that's why I say it's the last piece of the puzzle, because once it's passed, uh, then they're set up for the whole point of this, which I'll restate as I get I, every time I, I do a presentation, <laughs> I restate it a little better. Doesn't hurt. The whole, the whole point of briefing members of Congress that went on for a couple of years, witnesses forward, passing some legislation and then more legislation, asking for classified reports. Setting up uh, a, 
finally setting up and completing a formalized program in the DOD, getting NASA involved by having it set up a study group or whatever. The point of all of that was not in any way to, quote, see if we can get to the bottom of this issue and then tell the people. No, had nothing to do with that. This was all done because, one, it had to be done, and two, it did have ancillary benefits for the government. Now, what do I mean? Let me give you a simple example. I'll make, make state it pretty simply. Just imagine if for some reason the United States government learned that Xi Jinping was about to make a move on this from their intelligence and that he was going to bring a huge amount of evidence forward and uh, and take the grand stage. Or Putin. And, uh, yeah, but Putin's – yeah, but let's – I'll just keep with Xi Jinping. And they realize, oh my God, he's going to preempt it. And as a result, the, the president – and this could be, say, three years ago, four years ago, three years ago. The president literally was forced, had no choice, to go in front of the American people and say, look, uh, we're not alone. And there's ETs here. What happens the next day? The next day, the world is on fire. You've got several million journalists crowding in briefing rooms all around the planet, thousands of them in the United States. You've got the people all over the media uh, demanding this, that, and everything else. And there isn't an iota of infrastructure or legislation addressing that. They're literally – it's total chaos. They can't service what will be an unprecedented demand. We're talking demand. now three years ago time frame roughly. Yeah, say three years ago. I mean it, they would have, it would have been an absolute chaos. It well, that would have been, been in disaster. the Trump administration among other things. It doesn't matter. The point I'm making is, well, yes, it does is matter. that everything that has been done – Remember how you were adamant that Trump could not be the disclosure president? Over my dead body will – you know, that kind of thing. We had the conversation. Yeah, and he, he wasn't going to be the disclosure president, and he wasn't. So um, so the, the point I'm Well, making, you know what the claim is? That some high-level Israeli – interesting – security general basically said he was warned by the ETs, no, it's not time. Yeah, well, there's a lot of claims out there, Dick. That one's not on my list. Uh so the point that so I'm you believe is, Grush and you don't believe uh, this is, is Israeli guy. Yeah, okay. I believe Grush because I know enough about Grush to know that his statement was absolutely true. I don't know anything about the Israeli guy, so I have nothing. There's nothing I can say about that. So the point that I'm making is, is that everything that they have done has solved that problem. In other you words, you mean all the careful a, political framework of, of masonry all the stuff that built. has been done yeah, yeah i totally agree. So, the moment that if the, president, the bill is enacted you said it just a moment ago when it's enacted if it's not enacted where are we we're in limbo again point that i'm making is that this bill is the final piece of the puzzle and once it is passed everything is pretty much in place meaning that if disclosure were to take place in january the government is completely ready. All the pieces are on the board. All of the demands that yeah. will be headed right at the yeah. government from journalists, we from citizens, and everything else. But it rests on that office. bill being enacted. Again, again, Bill, I'm, I'm just telling you what, what's going on. All right. Uh, if it's not enacted, then it'll have to be passed later. The point is, it is it does represent the final piece of the puzzle, which sets them up to be able to deal with the disclosure event. Now, the ancillary benefits of this. 
is that by going through all of this in a relatively transparent way and doing all the right things and by and large saying all the right things, though they were, they were limited, there were a lot of things they couldn't say. They had to lie at times because they could not simply go directly to the matter like Rush did because that could have made it harder to get this infrastructure put, to, put in place. Uh, that uh, by doing all of that, when the confirmation comes, people are going to be a lot more generous with the governments about the fact that they're going to learn that, yeah, it, it, all of this is great, and you set it all up, and now you're ready well, to Well, you mean they'll be both. generous in the fact that the government has been lying for 78 years? They're going to be a lot more generous about the fact that they will also learn not that long after disclosure that, yeah, the government's been lying for all this time and, and, uh, and misrepresenting it and truth embargo and all of that. But having gone through all this setup and process and the legislation and so forth, it's going to make it easier for people to, to overlook that. The millennials will not care at all. I mean, they'll be totally on board. They, they, don't, they don't need to be stroked, but still, it helps. And so it's a public relations process in addition to being preparation. So the money that's been spent, and it hasn't been that much because really there was not much to do, uh, will get used big time because all of this is going to go into hyper gear. When you, when you say the money isn't spent, you mean the money spent on the current investigations? Arrow Everything. In other words, some, some people would say, well, yeah, if it's just to get ready for this exposure world, then, then why didn't they just tell us, right? And so it, it seems like a lot of money was wasted. No, it, it had to be uh, – it wasn't that much. They didn't have to spend that much. Uh, so uh, it's all going to be well, – and then the funding will really come. I mean Arrow will get massive funding, and all of this process will be funded, and they'll be able to deal in the post-disclosure world. Other nations will follow. Now, the other nations, by and large, and, unless it's secret, have not put this kind of infrastructure together. They don't have any of this. They don't have the legislation. They don't have the infrastructure. And so it's going to be a little tougher well, for let them. Me, let me up. raise another political wrinkle. Then I want to get to an even bigger, more interesting question to me. Mm -hmm. We've now got this radical right-wing idiot who's Speaker of the House, who is a real, real fundamentalist Christian, and I mean so fundamentalist that mm -hmm. I would not be surprised if he views ETs, as many fundamentalists do, as the devil, Satan, the handmaiden. Yeah. In other words, and it has to go through him to get put on the floor to be voted on by the House of Representatives, no matter That's what right. the Senate does. So what if he says, I'm not going to sanction Satan? Is Tuesday. that a question? Yes, of course it is. All right. I don't think he's going to be around that much longer. And two, if he actually comes forward and says, I'm going to block that bill because EZTs are, are Satan, he's going to be around even less longer. That's your opinion. We're, yeah, but it's we a are very living in La La opinion. Land. Stephen, have Dick. you watched what's politically going on? We're in La La, La Land. Dick, we did not have know, a functioning government for three weeks because of Republican idiots. I, again, I'm giving you my opinion because that's why I'm on the show. Yeah, but I like okay. you to back it up. Just, just oh, he won't be around long. That, that you, if wishes were horses, you know, we'd all be Pegasus. My assessment of why he won't be around long gets into a whole political discussion I don't want to get into, but I'm paying pretty close attention to politics as well. Why not? No, because I just, I just don't want to go there. I don't, I, I, I don't want to talk about it because ultimately it is so trivial. All right? It is so trivial. I'm simply saying that I have a pretty good idea of how it would go down if Mike Johnson says, I'm not going to let this bill pass because these things are clearly demons. 
it won't go well for him. All right. Have you it's seen not, some it, of the stuff he said in public, uh, in print, on the record yeah. over the last several years since he's been? I think he yeah. was elected in 2017. I think. And that was in the past, and then it's kind of coming out now. But it's not. It's not involving a major current thing going on. Anyway, I'm just not worried about Mike Johnson. Okay, okay. I'm right. not worried about Stephen him. If you want me to be, you're wasting worried. your time. Okay. All right. Okay. And so right. let me let me get to my bigger question. Yeah. You have said on many appearances, you know, it's obviously on the record, that the process that we're going through, where the interest starting with the 2017 December New York Times article, mm-hmm. the revelation of the inside in-house Pentagon study sanctioned by a couple of senators, including the Democratic uh, leader in the House, uh, Harry Reid, all had to go through that Pentagon military doorway. But you've never actually explicated as to why. If this well, phenomenon, you- hang on, hang on, I'm not done. If this yeah. phenomenon is so benign, if there are no bad guys out there that we can discern, why does it have to be through the military door that we become aware that we're not alone? The reason it's playing out the way it has is because if you're going to get, uh, if you're going to prepare for disclosure and set up legislation and get the DOD on board, set up an entity like Arrow and get members of Congress, particularly high-level members of Congress involved, you need a, a fundamental basis, a hook that will allow them to engage it. And that hook was obvious. It was national security. But, all right, let me stop you there. If there's nothing but good guys out there, why is it obvious? Any, the, 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 the idea, not the idea, the fact that there's non-human technology, highly sophisticated, in our airspace and elsewhere, it can go anywhere it wants and do what it wants, is a potential threat. Doesn't mean it's a threat. It just means a potential threat. And just intellectually, it's obvious that it should it can't it should be viewed as a national security matter until such time as the evidence is mounted to the point that no, it's not an answer. Well, wait, wait, then we're on the same side of this because that's all I've been saying. Is anybody taking seriously the fact there could be bad guys? And you're saying Again, it's it's the foundation of this whole disclosure process, the hook, the threat, the fear. That there no, are enemies out no, there. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying at all. Why would you invoke the military if it's not a threat and you're you're fearful of it? Fundamentally, I didn't invoke the military. I said that in order to get politicians and members of the military intelligence community to get involved with building this infrastructure, it can't be because, uh, well, let's take the other tack that. We know for a fact the ETs are all wonderful, and they're here to make the world great, and and uh, we need to build an embassy for them to, to, to be able to come to and all that. People, it, It's not going to go anywhere at all. But you Politically, said that's what the suicide. record shows. I don't understand. You're like talking out of both sides of your mouth. We no, need Dick, politically. I, I wish you wouldn't we, say we, things we need, like that we, to me. I can say anything I want. You can say anything you want. I, and I can wish you it's didn't say It's called freedom of speech. I'm trying to make the point that in order for politicians to get involved, they need something that is politically safe. And the national security hook was the safe deal. 
And as and as it went forward, it made it possible then to step into it. If anybody asked, well, why are you wasting time on this? Why are you getting involved? Well, there's a potential national security issue here. I mean, obviously, it needs to be looked at. Now, well, wait, wait, hang on, hang on. Is it yeah. possible if you and I don't have that data? If you have data, basically said they're all you know angels and they're coming here to help us. You know, remember to serve man. Is it possible the DOD actually knows there is a threat and this is why it's that doorway, political expediency and normal people's paranoia notwithstanding? It's possible, but the evidence doesn't point there. The evidence you have. What well, if the they evidence have is secret? available to the general public. Exactly. Okay. Well, the general public doesn't know almost squat about anything anymore. Again, I don't They're know like what that mushrooms means. Kept in the dark. Again, said you know I'm what? Say, I'm saying that the evidence does not point to the government. The evidence going, you know about and I know about. Except what, I evidence that, could I, what other evidence could I talk about? There? Well, I have public evidence which says exactly the opposite. Well, then fine. Put it out there. I'm going I'm, to. I'm, I'm here to give you what I know, I not already, what you know. I, you already I, know what you know. I have right. – no, I suspect what I know is what I know. Nothing so, is yeah. cast in stone. Yeah. It's all probabilities. National security was the pathway to get the necessary entities involved, to get the things done. Uh, to set up the the, uh, the programs that needed to be set up, and it's worked pretty well. And as as we went through, generally they were careful to try to always say potential threat, but occasionally they would just say threat. Yeah. And uh, obviously the whole ATIP thing was based on threat. That acronym had threat in it, I believe. Again, the acronym had threat in it. To what extent they viewed it as a threat, I don't know. Ah, it had to have a name. Okay. That's so what they gave. so. So we're looking at what's going on out, out there in the field, and your assessment, your analysis, your perception is it's mm-hmm. a political set of tricks to jump no. through the right hoops. No, that's not what I said. I didn't say it's a political set of tricks. I said that. I you s- didn't know. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. No, you just said I said that, and I didn't. What I'm saying is, is that when – because what happened is that by 2017, I think the consensus within the military intelligence complex was increasingly leaning to disclosure. But how do you do it? Uh, and so it, was, it wasn't easy. But more and more people had, I think, privately arrived at the conclusion that this needs to end and we need to move forward. The question is, who would come forward? What would, be, what, what would happen? Would, it's possible that suddenly tens of thousands of documents would appear out of nowhere and it would be the ultimate reveal, and, and, and that might trigger it. Who knows? Of course, it would be totally illegal. What ultimately happened, as the way it played out, is that 10 individuals made the decision to come forward together. And using their, their resumes and their credentials as former members of the military intelligence community, uh, make a, an effort to take this whole to another level. They came forward as part of a company, which is not not important, but nevertheless, that's, that's how they came forward. And they were those resumes were announced and put on the web on October 11th of 2017. The moment I saw those resumes, I knew exactly what was going on. I knew exactly why they did this. The question is, what would they do next? And there was, what was the plan? Just coming forward and saying, we're interested in this subject, and we're going to be part of this company, and uh, look at our resume, it, 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 that's not going to drive the process. That's, that's trivial. What they did was, two of them uh, took, a, took, took information and evidence to the New York Times to break a major story. And that story 
which was printed in uh, two two editions, 16 and 17 December 2017, but more importantly, put up on the web along with the gun camera footage. That was the watershed moment, point. The disclosure process that was going to end the truth embargo really gets underway. And okay, we the are plan- at the bottom of the hour. Hold it right there. Good place to pause. Good place to bracket to the future. My guest tonight is Stephen Bassett, who, as you know, is a longtime colleague and friend, and he's been championing the UAP UFO side of the house, and I've been doing artifacts. And we will come back to artifacts in the next half hour. Abby Loeb is sitting there waiting to be discussed, and I've got some really interesting evidence to present to Stephen in favor of maybe we should be paranoid model. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back on the other side of midnight on this Sunday night about to be Monday morning. Uh, Time change is notwithstanding. My guest this morning is Stephen Bassett. We're kind of having an open and honest discussion of all the parameters that I think are going on behind the scenes. My opinion, and again, it's an opinion, but it's an analysis based on my assessment of the public record is the reason this is coming in through the Pentagon doorway is because any species that encounters the unknown will not survive very long if they take the optimistic position that, well, the unknown can't hurt me. You have to, in a 3D reality, preemptively act as if the unknown could hurt you. So you need to know as much as possible and be prepared for the unknown to bite you. And the biggest unknown in the history of the human species is, are we alone? What other consciousness, either unrelated aliens or related distant high-tech family, are we exposing ourselves to? 
or have been exposed to subterraneanly for the last 7,800, 200, whatever, however many years, and only now is on the threshold of being openly, publicly grappled with and acknowledged. So, Stephen, um, let me let me lay some other cards on the table. Remember, one of the things I'm trying to keep in mind is that maybe the, the, the guys inside know that there is a threat out there. Not everybody, but enough so that we can't be very Pollyanna about this and, and continue with the way things have gone. So, uh, I presume you have been following the Avilog story, right? Yes. Okay. You know about his deep sea expedition off Indonesia and his bringing up particles from an object that entered the atmosphere at interstellar velocities tracked by the Pentagon radars, right? Yes. And you're aware of his analysis of what he believes he has found in these little spherules, these droplets of molten metal that he scooped up through magnetic uh, uh, devices, you know, towed on the bottom of the ocean, right? Yes. Have you followed the composition of those materials? No, I haven't gone that far. Okay. Why does it matter? Because according to Dr. John Brandenburg, who was a nuclear physicist and who had a very high-level position in the military mission to the moon in the 1990s called Clementine, the materials, the metals, the combination of substances that Avi Loeb has now analyzed and is about to publish in a peer-reviewed paper, which I have a uh, uh, secret you know, uh, copy of, indicates to John that the object itself was basically a currently state-of-the-art thermonuclear weapon, which entered the atmosphere at interstellar speeds, burned up, and the droplets fell to the bottom of the Pacific. That opens up, in my mind, the possibility that somebody out there in interstellar space, an extraterrestrial species, is sending our military the message in the, in the code they understand, which is big nukes. And they're basically saying through symbology, if you guys keep on keeping on to what you're doing, and I'm presuming that what you're doing is disclosure acknowledging that we exist, that we're out here, then we will take further steps. They're not using some super-duper technology that our guys wouldn't understand. They're using as a symbolism something that everybody in the Joint Chiefs understands. And the only people that know those signatures are people in the nuclear weapons community, starting with John Brandenburg. That, to me, is very important evidence because this object, unequivocally interstellar, could have been made of anything, any composition. The fact that it's a unique, narrow signature of a weapon, of a nuclear device, to me, needs to be part of the conversation. Uh I'm not I'm not interested really that much. Uh, there's assumptions stacked on top of assumptions stacked on top of speculations with cross connecting. Well, how and are we else. speculating on analysis in a laboratory of a piece of material dug up from the bottom of the Pacific? It's Again, data. it's just data. Yeah. And then assuming that it comes from a nuclear weapon is what? Well, no, the, the, it's not an assumption. It's the, it's the components John knows 
are part of nuclear technology, the state of the art in the arsenals of ours and Russia's and China's and, you know, Israel, et cetera. Mm. It's not an unknown well, mix. It's a unique, I, it's kind of like a unique spectral fingerprint. It's lithium and beryllium and tungsten and uranium. Uranium, for God's sake. Those things do not occur naturally in interstellar space or in asteroids, whatever. We've never analyzed anything like this. It's unique. It's interstellar. We know that from the radar. It came in too fast to be part of the solar system. And so John's reasonable hypothesis is this is either a nuclear weapon. His, his other possibility is an Orion-type device, which is a spacecraft technology developed by uh, Taylor and um, um, oh, I forget what, the other guy's name at Princeton in the 1960s designed to use big nuclear weapons or well, tactical nukes behind a big pusher plate with a spacecraft called Orion that would have taken millions of tons to Mars in two weeks. And Kennedy had a decision between that technology and Apollo, and he chose Apollo. So John's analysis says this signature, this unique high-tech signature fits either a weapon or an Orion-type spacecraft, but it ain't something that normally forms in any solar system under any cosmology that the astrophysicists have been tracking for, you know, almost 100 years. I'll send you the paper. And I don't have much of an opinion. And I will send you Loeb's paper. Because mm-hmm. the, but the yeah. controversy is not about the, the elemental composition. It's about the end use. The end use fits my model more than it does anybody else's. We'll see. Right. In terms of, uh, again, looking for uh, what could be non-human tech at the bottom of the ocean is fine. Uh, but uh, I'm more interested in the ETs that we know are here and are being reported in many ways. Uh, and I'm going to put my focus there, and I'll let these areas of inquiry go forward. And maybe down the line, one of them will catch my attention. But not yet. Not yet. Not now. Okay. Well, remind me, because I have a lot of other things on my plate, but I will send you really interesting papers, both of them. Because, again, I, I'm, all my life I've been looking forward to this moment when we would finally have the evidence that, you know, we're not alone. I we've never, always had the evidence we're I've, not alone. I haven't had it. Have you had oh, it? Oh, yeah. We've, God, we've had it since No, we've had stories. We have no evidence. We have stories. We have million stories, starting with Keogh and no, that's, RuPaul. No, that's incorrect. And all, that's incorrect. Well, that, again, that's your assessment versus mine. Yeah. The point of fact is it never really, until relatively recently, last uh, five years, crossed my mind that when we did make contact, they might not be good guys. And they might just be good guys. But they might not be, and you can't count on them being, otherwise you're extinct. No, no, no. It's really quite simple. If they're not good guys and they want us to be extinct, we're extinct. No, we're not. There's nothing, there's nothing because, we can do because about it. Because you're not accounting for whatever politics there are in the galaxy at large. Are you saying that we can negotiate our way out of it? I'm saying we may have defenders, supporters. Uh, fighting over us people who are on our side who basically have kept the bad guys in check. Well, let's hope they keep doing it. And maybe it, remember we're dealing with fallible beings. Maybe they'll Mm -hmm. miss something and bingo, there we are. If whoever is quote protecting us from the bad guys fails in that job, then we're done. There's nothing we can do about that. 
that's, that's just the way it is. Well, that's kind of fatalistic. Uh, no, it is. I mean, that's the nature of technology. It's See, not a fair well, fight. All right, my, my higher level question, given that we have this series of events that I'm interpreting as threats to the power structure, why would suddenly, after 70, 80 years, we be in an era where there may be threats like a, a, a signature nuclear technology? I, I have no way of assessing what you just told me. I have no idea whether there's any validity to that at all. Well, so I, I can't, I can't respond argument, to it. Just for the sake of argument, let's assume it's real. Why would it be happening now? Again, what, what is, I, I, on, I'm not going to do that. It's a pointless. It, no, it's there's not. There's a hundred things I could assume are real and then try to respond to them. But if the I don't DOD think it's real, it's a waste of time. The doorway is from which this comes, and they are the, you know, charged with defense. NASA for 50 years has had extraordinary evidence. They could have any Sunday morning said, look what we found on Mars or on the moon, etc." And they have why not. Did, why, why didn't they? Why, exactly. Why haven't they? Because it was against the law. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. No. 1958 Where, Space Act made it quite clear that NASA should it in any way encounter matters of national security. What makes quote, extraterrestrial existence as, national security? You're making a huge leap. They're only a what? national security problem if they're a threat. No. If they're not hey, a threat, I, they're not a problem. It, it, the truth embargo was set up to maintain uh, an embargo on the issue because they viewed the issue fundamentally as a matter of national security. And maybe and so with con- good reason. So consequently, anything that threatens the truth embargo, such as finding artifacts on Mars and, and taking really good pictures of them and then giving them to the New York Times, would be uh, upsetting that national security. Are you and forgetting something called Brookings? Again, Remember uh, Brookings... Brookings? Is, I, and I remember it very well, Dick, and it's one of the most useless, irrelevant things that's happened in this issue. It's about the same level as the, uh, the, the Halloween uh, Mars fiasco that Orson Welles put on. It, it, not, it did nothing more than uh, uh, make a simple statement that the truth embargo was used many times, namely that, oh, boy, there could be a threat, and therefore that's the reason not no, to no, let no, people no, know. No, 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 that's not what Brookings said at all. Brookings which is our code name for a more complicated title, which is on the Enterprise Mission website, by the way. You just have to go find it. It said, if the human race discovers that it is not alone, there mm-hmm. is a high probability that that knowledge alone, regardless of the, the spin or the sign or whether they're good or bad or even just artifacts, that knowledge itself exposed to the general terrestrial culture circa the 1950s could destroy civilization. Not from, outside, means, not from outside threats, but from our own internal insanity that would turn an incredible event into a catastrophe because of, and then Brookings goes into all the reasons why. Yeah, and the, well, that's the and, point that I made. I, I made this, yeah, I made, but it's all, I, it's all, Brookings talked about a mind game as opposed to the DOD talking about real threats. I wasn't talking about I'm saying that the Brookings report was basically saying that the revealing of this information was a threat to national security and the common no, good. No, it was a threat to national identity, to human identity at an individual level. But it no, was a threat. Words are it important. was an issue. Stephen, words are important. I happen to think the government didn't even believe that, right? I also think it's not true. It never was. I happen to think if the disclosure event had taken place right after Roswell, it would have been fine. 
right? But Brookings played a nice role in the truth embargo because that particular scenario served the truth embargo okay, well. By we, helping have, to we, keep we, people. we have reached a moment of absolute 100% agreement. I totally agree with you that the Brookings report was used by the, yes. by the cover-up crowd to maintain non-disclosure forever. Yeah, they used everything they could. Because that the, was way just one you, thing. the way you appeal to good, people of good intent is you say to them, well, if, yeah. if we do this, you're going to be responsible for destroying civilization. Do you want that on your conscience? And they will say, well, of course not. So they keep quiet. Anyway, that was 63 years ago. Now we're on the verge of disclosure. Let's get back to that. Well, I want to get back to the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance. We've been teasing mm. all evening. We've got yeah. – um, you know, um, 45, no, we got an hour and 15 minutes. Let's mm-hmm. focus on what you have created, what you, who your colleagues are, who's mm-hmm. part of it, what your agenda is going to be, and how you intend to push the river in Hollywood. Mm. Yes, this is uh, uh, pretty cool. Yeah, that's why I you're went, on the show, uh, to talk about cool. Yeah, I went out, I went out to Hollywood to to get uh, to try to get a major project done in uh, basically May of 2020, and uh, there was a lot of potential promise. Unfortunately, the uh, the pandemic continued to surge, and uh, a couple of surges later, the whole thing blew up. Uh, people were going out of business, companies were shutting down, and I was kind of caught in the middle of all that. Um, and things got very, very tough. Well, as we all were. Yeah, exactly. But because I was in out in L.A. and trying to get some projects going with, with people that I'd made contact with, I started making contact uh, and just getting, you know, there. I, you know, 90% of success is just showing up. <laughs> and so I was making some contacts, even though things were going badly for almost two and a half years. So eventually what happened? is that all of the contacts I was making, something felt, a couple things fell together. And uh, the way it happened very quickly, uh, I, I ran into a gentleman at uh, a conference in San Mateo uh, named Dan Harari. Uh, he's, he'd watched my presentation. And like many people, he chatted with me a little bit afterwards. And as I was walking away, he happened to mention he was a Hollywood publicist. Ah. And I pivoted <laughs> fast enough to possibly break my neck. And we sat down. I talked to him for a few minutes. I said, look, we got to get together back in, in D.C. Okay. He'd been a Hollywood publicist for 40 years, and he's met everybody. And he was into the did, subject. Did he work for William Morris or any of the big agencies or individual clients, et cetera? Would he we, worked for would, several substantial would, agencies. Would we, I don't think it was re- William Morris. Would we recognize any of his clients? The stars? Yeah. Yes. Well, you would. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, like, you would. like. I, I, I don't want to go there. Uh, I'm just saying he's a publicist. He's got a book out called Flirting with uh, Fame. You can read about all of his encounters with, with famous people for 40 years. Flirting with Fame by Dan Harari, H-A-R-A-R-Y. We should have a link so, to we met, that on the website. Can you send me we a met link? In a, we met in an Italian Stephen, Stephen, can you send me a link to the book, please? Okay. I after need to, the show. We'll post it after yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we met at an Italian restaurant in Hollywood, and he just said to me, I said, you know, what, what can I do? What can we do? And he said, Hollywood Disclosure Alliance. 
And I immediately knew what he meant. And I instantly realized this is a big deal. So he had been thinking about this for some time. No, he started thinking about it when he met me. Oh, really? Only a few days before? Basically. Wow. So um, you were that convincing. Wow. Good for you. So back in 2012, when the citizen hearing on disclosure was being put together, there was about an eight month stretch there where I was trying to, I was trying to, and I've always wanted to do this. I was trying to connect the issue with with the people in in the film industry, right? And so I, I created a little group called the ET Media Group, and we had some lists, we had some decent lists. Uh, not only people in the ET world, the UAP world, but also in the uh, the, the, the the production you know, film production world. And so we ended up getting 30, 40, 50 people once a month to come in big. Big square group of tables sitting around and 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 talk, bring up some issues. Sometimes we'd have a speaker, and we had some people show up that were kind of in they were in the business, but it didn't really go too far. We're talking 2012 uh, and early 2013, and, and again that was before uh, the boys came forward in 2017. Well, yeah. So it didn't go anywhere, but I I, I the idea was yeah. The film industry needs to get on our side someday. They have not been on our side. They have pretty much stayed hands off while making. Well, wait, wait, wait. Have you you seen some of the comments by Spielberg? Again, let me just continue. Uh, The film industry has made uh, probably as much as $200 billion off of fictional ET movies, Uh, but they've never allowed a a documentary on the subject to have theatrical distribution. Well, let me interrupt again because I, I have documented evidence, real evidence. That when Spielberg was going to do Close Encounters, NASA is in print on record with a letter which Spielberg has published, and I'll send it to you, basically imploring him not to do the movie, not to do the subject, not to do any of this. That, to me, is an incredibly important smoking gun for non-disclosure government tampering. Again, I'm not surprised at that. The point is, is that the film industry has gone, it's done the fictional thing to death, but it will not get in support the work of the people on the other side because the truth embargoes kept them apart. So, uh, the moment he said Hollywood Disclosure Alliance, I knew what he meant. So, uh, this was May. So, it took four months to put it together. May of 20 what? This year. 2023, okay. No, maybe was it May? Yeah, I think it was May. Yeah, it was. Uh, one, month, and, one month before Grush. That's right. Um, and so it took four months to put it together, and we launched it uh, on uh, the November 2nd. 2nd. Yeah. Uh, but the press release goes out tomorrow. Uh, we did get a we, – a, we, we let the Hollywood disclosure I'm, – I'm sorry, the, the deadline Hollywood – uh, site, which is a huge. Yeah, we have that posted site. as my last item in Radio with Pictures yeah. tonight. We let them have scoop, and so they put the report out. Then we held the, the board meeting, and then the launch, the launch lunch, and it's Musso and Frank, which is a very, very, very high end and very, very uh, top restaurant in Hollywood uh, to give it gravitas. And so it's been launched. So what what have we created here? The Hollywood Disclosure Alliance uh, will be a nonprofit, five hundred one c three. The nonprofit status we're going to have probably within a couple of days, California, and it'll take another four or five weeks to get the 501c3. It will be a nonprofit. It 
it will be not commercial in any way. It won't be fees or membership dues or anything else. And it's structured this way. Oh, by the way, one of the reasons that that he got this idea and presented it to me is that 30 years ago, he was involved in a similar project that exists to this day. And it's called the Environmental Media Association. Now, this was put together by Norman Lear and his wife back in the 90s mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of money. And it, it launched uh, with a million-dollar awards dinner, and every big shot in town was involved. So right off the bat, it was like jet jet rocket taking off. But what it was was simply this. It was a nonprofit organization that was set up to help facilitate networking between the filmmakers and the environmental activist movements, of which there are many, so that the messaging and the opportunity to create content then these activists would be maximized. Now, the environmental movement has always had more funding than the UAP movement. UAP, UAP uh, activist movement is probably the least funded, least funded activist movement in all of history. Uh, but the environmental had plenty of money, but still, this was a big deal. And so it was formed, and you can, if you, if you, uh, you go to uh, environmental, just Google Environmental Media Association, it comes right up, EMA, and they, they to this day, have tons of affiliation. They have plenty of top end people and A-list people involved, and they're still working with the environmental movement in various ways to help solve the problem. Right, a, a bringing together of the citizen uh, activist world and uh, the film production world. That's exactly what the HDA is. It is an alliance, a networking nexus, designed to bring together. All of the uh, – anyone and everyone that wants to participate in the entertainment industry, not simply in Hollywood, but across all of Los Angeles County, Canada, UK, anywhere. But certainly the focus is in, uh, in California for now, but is to bring anyone in that, in that – in the production of content, the professional level, into uh, contact with the, the citizen, research, activist, journalist, um, uh, and documentarists, as well as witnesses that have been part of the, what we call the UAP community all these decades that have had to do their work and try to figure out this issue while the government was preventing them from getting access to money, resources, and denying the very issue that they were dealing with. In other words, they've been separated by this truth embargo. Uh, and that's why, again, uh, there's never been a, a, a documentary on UAP subject that's had theatrical distribution. You know, I have wondered since 2017, when the dam broke with the New York Times, why some enterprising, pun intended, Hollywood producer, well-connected, and knows everybody, track record, proof of making a lot of money off his products, has not taken this story and woven a most remarkable mainstream movie out of the process of going from they don't exist to they're here. Oh, it's coming. Well, do we I'm know sure. any specific projects that are? There's so many projects, I can't, I can't even keep track of them all. Okay. And so this thing is, is taking off. I mean, the, the Hollywood has figured it out. I mean, they, they, they know what's going down. They know it's disclosure's coming, and they're making their moves. And there's been a lot of effort to draw them in, and I'll take some credit for that. So it's not like overnight. 
but there it's only just beginning. Uh, but my concern was, and it's already happened, that because the truth embargo technically is still in place, that they'll just do it themselves. They don't need the help of Richard Dolan or any of the other researchers or people in this field. Uh, they can just take care of it themselves. They're all pretty smart. They're wealthy. You mean Hollywood? Well, Hollywood. Yeah, the, 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 you know, the professional entertainment industry. It doesn't really – would not engage. Wait a minute, Stephen. You disappeared. What? No, now you're back. Okay, sorry. Okay. J.J. Uh, Abrams uh, did a documentary series on Showtime. This is this is bad robot. I mean, this is big. This is a list. You mean you mean Fringe? No, I'm saying bad robot is J.J. Abrams, one of the yeah, but, A-list but bad robot producers. was behind the Fringe. No, I'm talking about Showtime. This is a documentary series on Showtime okay. called UFO. Okay. And one of the one of the episodes was a disaster because he did not have the consultation. The people in this field that would have told him that. I offered to be a consultant, but again, uh, they didn't they didn't accept it. And then and then recently, Steven Spielberg has has stepped in, and he's done a far part documentary series. Now we're not talking about you know a documentary on the big screens, but still, these are substantial. And so this was a Netflix series called Encounters. And, uh, you know, it's fantastic that he did this. And, and it shows that Spielberg is, is involved in, 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 in starting to get into the issue now. Who, in terms did, of the the, who did the fictional series um, uh, Blue Book? That was, uh, well, Paul Heineck was a producer. And then there was a company called, uh, actually, three of the producers, four, four of the producers on that show are in the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance. Uh, it, it actually and, got better. Over time, and then, well, it, and then it, it was it was a scripted it was a scripted series. Okay, we are we are, we are at the top of the hour, so let's hold it there. Okay. My guest this morning is Stephen Bassett, and we're now discussing where I really wanted to go. After, as the lawyers say, you know, you kind of lay foundation. I wanted to come to this idea that you know there needs to be a public move in media, in social media, on the internet on all of the things that we associate with reality. Remember uh, my friend Gene Roddenberry's famous quote, but Dick, this was real. It would be on television. Well, maybe the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance, with some help from its friends, can help make it real. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Don't turn that dial because there's some surprises up ahead. Stay tuned.
www.theothersideofmidnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and nonlinearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, on this now Sunday night, Monday morning of 2023, November, November 5th, one year from the 2024 election. See, I don't think, Steve, and I'll bring you back in here, I don't think that this is going to be all said and done until the election of next year. I see this as a very long runway, and I see, my opinion is, the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance can play a major role in bringing key facets of this phenomenon, this reality, the evidence, public attention, creating the right wedge of citizen participation, which can move the river, which can be part of the political dialogue, beginning with the guy in the White House who currently has an ancient ET artifact sitting in the Oval. Go ahead. Unmuting helps. Uh, yeah, the HDA, Hollywood Disclosure Alliance, is being set up for the post-disclosure world, not the pre-disclosure world. Um, it's anticipating disclosure is well, very well, close. Well, well, why, 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 why wait? Why not start being proactive now? No, no, I'm not saying we're not going to be proactive. I'm just saying the way it's being set up. and, and, and What does and, that mean, and, being set up? Well, let me explain it. Here is how the, the, the Hollywood Social Alliance is going to do what it, we want it to do. It has a board of directors, which will probably grow. It's at 14 now, but it could end up growing to 25, 30 within a month or two. Uh, and these are – they will actually be a voting board, and they will vote a couple times a year. Uh, but the, the HDA will be run by a, an executive board of five people. Uh, and they will be making the day-to-day decisions, so forth. Um, and the board, though, in general, is, is uh, these are the ambassadors. These are people with some pretty, you know, substantial credentials, uh, and they're split in two parts. There's there there are board members who are from the industry side, the, the entertainment industry side, and there's board members from the UAP ET side, right? The citizen science research activist journalist side. And so we have the board. Then underneath that are founding members. Now, a founding member, all all it means is that they are endorsing the HDA by having their bio and photo up 
on the site under the found, in, in founding members section. We've got about 45 right now split about evenly between, again, entertainment industry, film industry, and the UAP ET world, right? And these founding members uh, are, again, endorsing what's going on and making themselves known. Underneath them will be the supporting members, and these are individuals, anyone who donates anything to the HDA will be listed as a supporting member, and they will be in that section alphabetically, just the name, indicating that they have they have supported and they've allowed their name to be put up there. And then underneath that, or simply subscribers. In other words, anybody who would just like to get information from time to time, what we're up to, they can provide their email address. Now, the way that new founding members will be added is by reference. In other words, they have to be referred into us by other founding members and then considered by the board. And it's the same thing for new board members. And so we anticipate having 100 to 150 founding members pretty quickly. And we anticipate that the, I guess you could say the resumes of these founding members is going to expand, meaning that we're going to see people with more substantial careers, better known, some famous and what have you. And in the UAP area, it's not quite like that, but we hope that you know, th th there's going to be a pretty substantial representation there. And so what is, what, what do we have at that point? Well, what we have is the, the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance becomes a nexus in which those in the entertainment industry have a immediate access to, or at least they know, they, they know and, and uh, know who to contact with respect to the other side and vice versa. How do they get in touch? We're not going to publish contact information for anybody. However, somebody that wants to get in touch uh, with somebody in the, in, in the HDA, whether it's in their same genre, UAP, ET area, or whether it's in uh, the other genre, they contact us, the board, and then we provide a contact for them and they, they can get in touch. Do you have a website? The HollywoodDisclosureAlliance.org. Okay, because the up. only link I had was to the deadline Hollywood uh, yeah. news story. HollywoodDisclosureAlliance.org is the website. It's still under development, but it's coming along nicely. There's a lot that's going to be done in the next uh, well, uh, five is, or six is, days. Is, is, is it public? Can people go look? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we should have that as part of your uh, Radio with Pictures link. Yeah, I'll, I, I sent you the – by the way, I sent in the chat room the link to the uh, Senate bill yeah, I that I have yeah, created yeah. a PDF from, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send the other. And so already – there's a lot of networking going on already. A number of deals are coming together because just in the creation of this thing in the launch, everybody got together at the restaurant uh, and they've, they've learned about people through the website and already uh, it's creating deals. The Hollywood Disclosure Alliance will, is not commercial. It, it's not going to be involved in any deal. It's not going to be part of or equity in anything. All it is doing is giving people the opportunity to get together. And, and making it easy for them to get together by bringing together, particularly in the film industry, those people that really are interested. Well, with Zoom or Skype, you can get together with anybody. Exactly. So, And share data. Uh, let me ask this question. Mm -hmm. uh, UAP stands now at NASA for Unidentified Anomalous Phenomenon. They yeah. have set up an official office. In that mm -hmm. office, there is another sub-office dealing with alien artifacts, ruins, 
sure. uh, techno signatures, the whole nine yards. Is the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance going to cover alien ruins, artifacts, and signatures? Anything related to ETs, past or present, uh, is comes under that that aegis, uh, and that obviously includes non-human artifacts, for sure. Would you like uh, to see a couple? Again, uh, are you yeah, near sure. your computer? Uh, I'm I'm kind of not set up too easily to see anything right now. And oh, it's, Narn. Um, I had two things to show you. Well, um, they're on your site, though, right? Yeah, right. Item number no. two and item number three. But without uh, a discussion, uh, you won't know what you're looking at. Or maybe you will. Yeah. Item number, number two is amazing. It is an actual bona fide building, a geometric building on the moon, photographed in close-up by Alan Bean, 50-plus years ago uh, of Apollo 12. And we've found that it's part of a much larger extraterrestrial architectural structure called literally, because it looks like it, a lunar Stonehenge. And we're busily doing research now, given that Stonehenges have celestial alignments, to, to date, using commercial, you know, uh, Celestial mechanics programs furnished by JPL, furnished by NASA, to figure out the actual alignments of this astonishing structure, which has been photographed not only by NASA, both from orbit and from the surface and from two missions, including Surveyor 3, which landed next to it 400 feet away back in 1967, but the Indian space program, the Chandrayaan-2 spacecraft photographed it from orbit and it stands out brilliantly so we have analysts looking at the data we've got a specialist working on this computer program that uses the nasa software to calculate alignments and when you look at the object the structure the biggest one as part of the complex in item number two tonight on my uh, items it sits there looking for all the world like some barn or back shed you would find on any rural farm anywhere in America or around the world. And I just wish you could see it. Well, I'm on the site. The other side of midnight. What's the purpose of the ancient building? Yeah, well, click on that banner. That will take you to uh, get, actually, you should click on your banner, which is the Hollywood disclosure thingy. You see that one? You're on the home page, right? The other side of midnight.com. Click on your banner. The Hollywood disclosure that will take you to your page tonight. And look at number two of my items. Uh, wait a minute. This is real time radio, folks. You want me to hum? Play the kazoo. <laughs> Do a little tap dance. Um, all right, I'm going to click on the show. Yeah. Got a Under it, it says links to items. Click on my name under the banner. You're on the Hollywood Disclosure page, right? Yes, no, maybe. I haven't found it. I, I, I haven't found it. Uh, it's, it's late, and I'm not... As sharp as I, oh wait, wait here he is I found it okay here we go I'm clicking on that 
Okay. And then I'm going in. Okay. Under it, then it says I'm, me and you. Click uh, on me. Yeah. Uh, Steve Benson, Richard Holman. Click on me. Uh, 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 I'm not seeing you and me. Uh, Under I'm the banner on the guest page. I'm on. I'm on the guest page. I'm seeing the link right deadline. It, it says, "Right." I'll read you to exactly what it says. It says, "Fast links to items." Richard. Oh, fast links to items. Click you. on gotcha. Richard. Yeah. Click on my name. No, it's, it's so small though. It's tiny. Oh, oh you're on a phone. No, I'm saying it's small, even on the 60-inch screen. That's bizarre. Okay, so. Uh, okay, item number so two. Got, okay, item number so two. Scroll down to item number two. After you click on my name. Item number two. That's not it. Um, okay, master marker Fast outside of the circle. Yeah. Click on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. It gets much bigger. Yep. What do you see? I... What does it look like? Well, it has a, it has building quality. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. If you didn't know it was on the moon, you ran into this in a farmyard somewhere in Pennsylvania. There's no doubt that it's an old wine cellar or a spring house or a, you know, whatever. And the key is the, as Sagan said, remember Sagan's great quote, right? Intelligent life on Earth first manifests itself in the geometric regularity of its designs. Sure. Geometry. Yeah. It's a building. A building has to be built by somebody. It wasn't built by us. I have always, I've always said, going way back, that I'm, I have pretty good confidence that there's artifacts on not only Mars but the Moon. But confidence and, is not data. You were talking about data earlier in the show. This is damn data, and it was in NASA's possession for over 50 years, and they haven't talked about it. Yeah, I know, and I knew that. I knew that Na, Na, the NASA program and going to Moon and Mars was a serious problem for the truth embargo because clearly they could not have any photos absolute conclusive unambiguous photos of non-human artifact on either because it would obviously fuel the disclosure process well yeah because once you prove ets are real they're out there then them visiting earth is a trivial next step even if they're all dead and gone, I mean, exactly. you, you, you've proven it. And so, well, that gets us back it, to Brookings. Remember, Brookings said even the knowledge they existed would kill yeah. us. Well, again, I don't believe that. But I still, don't either, but I'm telling uh, you, that's the wisdom that's been out there. So in the 58 Space Act, uh, they knew that they had to make it real clear that NASA would have to be controlled. And it was going to be a civilian space program, but at the same time, they could not just let it leave it to its own judgment. When you read so, the fine print, it's all up to the president as commander in chief, what gets public and what doesn't. It's up to the DOD. In the initial bill, no, the, it's president, up to the president in the initial bill, the president was the chairman of a space council that would make a decision. But then in the follow up amended bill they took that out. So literally it went straight to DOD and the president didn't even have to be involved, which they had to do. So uh, that they that was their way of making sure that NASA did not screw up the truth embargo. The term is stayed on the reservation. 
True. <laughs> and that's been tough. In other words, I happen to believe that top people in NASA have known about the ED presence from day one. Of course they have. But but they couldn't go there, and so they proceeded to you know to do space. But it must have been tough on them, and awkward. And NASA obviously is going to have one of the more severe public relations problems once disclosure takes place. Actually, but ultimately, no, 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 no. Actually, they 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 will not. My not? my dear friend, my colleague Georgia Lambert and I. I came up with it first, but she obviously was paying attention. She echoed it the other night. We have the perfect out for NASA. The perfect out. You know what it is? AI. All NASA has to say is we've subjected these photographs, these purported rumors, (laughs) et cetera, to this computer, this algorithm, and they found things we never saw. End of problem. (laughs) You like it? I've spoken to that. Uh, I would strongly advise NASA not to do that. Once disclosure takes place uh, and the fundamental lie is revealed and people are coming to grips with it, uh, any efforts to play games with the truth after that will be savaged. Uh, and so NASA just well, needs to Well, wait a minute. Up. I am pursuing, separate through the Enterprise mission, an AI expert with the right algorithm, and we're going to submit our data, our enormous data, which of course is NASA's data, and we're going to come out with a with a statement of in press release and whatever, showing that when you bring AI to the table, bingo, the stuff is ruins all over the place. That may be true, but I'm, I'm, I'm talking about something else. I'm saying that if NASA tries to misrepresent that it didn't know about this, but just found out these artifacts using AI, that would be a bald-faced lie, and that would be a huge mistake. Because any effort to lie in the post-disclosure, in the aftermath of disclosure, by any agency in order to, quote, ease their burden or improve their public relations is going to be savaged. And the reason for that is that this is obviously not 1960. This is 2023. The number of people that will be paying close attention will be in the hundreds of millions, if not billions, and every single one of them will have a computer in front of them and full access to the Internet and social media. And so after disclosure, it's going to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And any attempt to go otherwise will not go well. So the point that I'm making is is that NASA was a victim of the truth embargo. It, it, it obviously limited enormously what it could do. It obviously limited the ability to get funding because an ET disclosure would have led to massive funding. It had to go along with the we national used to security call it structure. The, we used to call it the NASA gold card. Yeah, yeah. So, again, I, I'm, I'm awaiting. And when artifacts are finally revealed, uh, your life's work is vindicated. Uh, and okay, I'm sure that so you're going to be we, happy we, about that. Hang on. We, we are one for one, right? You look at the number two. You see yeah. the building. Right. Know. All right. You want to look for number three? Yeah, so pretty much. Want to go for doorway number three? Mm-hmm. All right. Take uh, click on it. It gets bigger. It feel you know, mostly fill your. Well, screen. I don't. I've only. Well, let me see. I I got to back it's, out of it's, this. It's, uh, it's, yeah, exactly. Go back one, and then okay, go to number number three, which is right below it. Okay, I'm backing out. Whoops, I'm not able to back out. What's going on here? Uh, is that it? No, that's not it. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. Apollo 16 thin section yeah, enhanced. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Click on that. Here we go. Okay. I can't enlarge this, but... Uh, yes, you can. Just, just click on it. Oh. No, I guess I already did. Okay, it looks like a abstract painting. Look more carefully. Uh, 
What do you see? Just describe what you're seeing. Well, I mean, I see clearly some linear structure. The uh, more you look, the more – look at all those right angles. Look yeah, at the yeah. layers. Look at the rivets. Look at the – that's machinery mm-hmm. embedded. Yeah, it's, it's, it's machinery. Now, here's where the – it goes off scale. It's machinery glommed into the moon rocks by physical impact processes on the moon collected by the crew of Apollo 16, brought back to Earth, cut into thin sections, put on microscopes, photographed, posted all over the world. And in these moon rocks, in these so-called thin sections, are unmistakable geometric formations of machinery. Technology. Are you saying this is a, a slice of moon rock? That's yes. what I'm seeing? Yes. Micro, micro yeah, that's what a thin okay. section of Apollo 16 means. Interesting. And, and this gets back to Abby Loeb. Because if Abby Loeb could successfully process material from the bottom of the Pacific Ocean and say, A, it's interstellar, and then Brandenburg say, and it's an artificial composition that was part of a nuclear device, what I want Loeb to do is to take publicly available samples of moon rock, which NASA makes available to any scientist anywhere in the world. And if Abby Loeb doesn't qualify, then Harvard is not on the list. And of course they are. And using exactly the same technology that he used on his samples to use them on what you're seeing on that screen and tell us what those incredibly mechanical looking things are made of. And that everything in the universe changes because they are artifacts. They are imprisoned ET artifacts composed of the things that high-tech technology artifacts are composed of. And Avi Loeb can be the hero of the day. All he has to do is do it. Well, uh, this is – I would add this on to a very, very long list of things that become – very possible post-disclosure, before disclosure, damn near impossible. Why? Because it's – I mean, I, I mean, he did raise a couple of million dollars to go look for uh, – He didn't raise the, it. Harvard gave it to him. He just said, I need money, and they said, here. Well, he didn't he raise got, it. He got a couple of million dollars to go do that, and that's fine. From Harvard. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm – but my interest is not in – uh, finding what could be non-human material at the bottom of the ocean. I'm interested in the ETs that are flying over our heads all the time. I'm, I'm talking about artifacts in the rocks we brought back with great expense of taxpayer money yeah, okay. from the moon. Yeah. Uh, this is, again, going to get much more attention and have a better chance of moving forward once we get in post-disclosure world so and the fundamental waiting, issue is resolved. So, we're, Stephen, we're waiting for Godot. You're waiting no. for the Senate. You're waiting for the yeah. president. What kind of an activist waits for the officialdom to decide to sanction reality? <laughs> That's not what activists do. They uh, push the issue and push the issue until eventually the authority gives in and does the right well, thing. Well, let me ask you the kid on the nail question. Will you take this data in a form that I will assemble and present it as part of the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance to Abby Loeb? Will he be part? I, I can't. Will I can't he, speak to Will that. he be part I, I of your alliance? Have you invited? Have you invited Abby Loeb to be part of the HDA? I'd rather not get into that. Uh, so again, you have. That, the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance has just launched. 
uh, we're building it up and uh, it's going to develop along certain lines. And I'm not going to try to get ahead of all that and say, well, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Uh, first of all, we have to raise some money because we have none. So we've got to get some money in so that we can start expanding what we do and, and uh, just fundamentally function appropriately. Uh, there's so much happening now. It's almost impossible to keep up with it. Uh, the amount of articles being published is greater than ever. Never been like this. Projects coming. I can't follow it all. It's overwhelming. Uh, so need, I'm trying to. You need an AI. <laughs> <laughs> I need a Senate hearing. Is all I need. So right now, stay. I'm gonna stay in the stay in the field. Keep the focus. The focus is in uh, the embargo, and we're close enough that we can do it. And so uh, I don't need two million dollars. Uh, I, I just need to keep talking and, and other people are doing the same. Social media has been very uh, supportive of the process. Uh, anybody in the Congress that goes on social media knows full well that there's high favorable interest in this. So it's just a matter of Mark Warner making the decision. All he has to do is make the decision. It's that simple. It won't cost anything. Well, I mean, the hearing will cost some money. but And that's where I'm at. And that's okay, okay. That, that, that's your plan A. What's, yeah, that's what's, your, what's your plan B? Well, I am, I am the is, attitude that you've got to keep pushing the river. You can't assume anything given what the stakes are. I mean, do you think it's a trivial kind of coincidence that we have been ironclad from ever knowing about this for 76 years? Don't you think somebody really will go to the mat, will die to keep this secret? In other words, there's real pushback in the system. The, the amount of pushback is negligible. It's, 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 it's there and it's turned up from you can send them an email, but I don't encourage people to do email and phone call stuff. That just pisses everybody off. What do you encourage them? Twitter. Twitter is fantastic. Uh, you wouldn't believe how many journalists have Twitter accounts. You mean how X. many members? You mean X? Well, it's always going to be Twitter to me. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and so consequently, it's so easy to access them. You just go at, you know, you could be a journalist, right? It could be, you know, like uh, uh, the News Nation people at so and so. Thanks so much for doing that interview. Thanks so much for paying attention to this issue. Uh, the journalists that write articles, I got 1,600 articles. Most of the journalists that have wrote these 1,600 articles that are on my website right now, Print Media Archive, uh, most of them have Twitter accounts. And you praise them. You know, thank you. Appreciate it. They need to be reminded they're doing the right thing. That is the easiest you thing. You mean they don't want a Pulitzer all by their own? Well, no. I mean, there are going to be some <laughs> Pulitzer prizes eventually on this. I would think. But there's only so many Pulitzers to go around. Praise is so much more effective than criticism. You can criticize people to death. And even though you're right and they should do it, they, they almost dig in. When, when, you, when they give you an opportunity to praise them, it's twice, it's many times more powerful than criticism. And you can really turn people. Do you get know people. why Grush chose News Nation or did News Nation choose him? Because I would have wondered why he's not CBS. NBC, ABC. Back up. Uh, yeah, no, they, they approached uh, the people involved, which included Leslie Kane, Ralph Blumenthal, and probably some others. They and maybe NAP. They approached uh, the major networks, the Post, the New York Times. You mean you mean they, Grush's people? Yeah, okay. uh, people connected to Grush, and they, and and the, the the story was so huge and so intense, uh, so controversial that the big entity simply didn't have time. He wanted to do it right away. He wasn't going to wait. He wanted to get it done. In other words, here's a story. Do it. Get it now. They wouldn't do it. I get that. Now, News Nation, uh, obviously, 
no problem. It's an up and coming uh, entity. Coming They've got plenty the, of money, the and they'd already gotten a, they'd already done a lot of coverage, particularly with Burchett and others. And so, well, I'm surprised they no that Fox didn't say yes because look at Tucker; he's been the UFO champion on Fox for years. Well, let's just say that uh, News Nation was a good choice, um, and uh, a pretty brief is a good choice in terms of the print. Uh, and then, of course, after he was out, there have been dozens and scores of articles written by the other papers all about Crush, but they didn't want to go first. Uh, that's fine. No big deal. Uh, uh, so uh, praise, use Twitter for that purpose. Uh, and what, what else? Um, and get ready. I mean, get ready. Get ready for the post-disclosure world. In other words, world. fasten your seatbelts. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be huge opportunities for people in the post-disclosure world. Uh, that that that. Will we have issue. any warning like we had with the Burchett committee about uh, Warner doing this finally? Uh, it'll just be virtually. It'll be an announcement. I mean, it'll it'll be simply. Uh, it'll be an announcement for oh, the committee. Oh, that, that reminds me of what I want to talk about in the last three minutes. Yeah. Uh, Burchett and Looney, Luna, right. these two congresspersons on the panel, the Burchett panel, had yeah. a skiff briefing. Yeah, they and, finally got and, this guy. And, and the reports were weird all over the block, like, oh, nothing happened. They were disappointed. They were stonewalled. Yeah. What's the truth? I think they were stonewalled. They, they, first of all, the DOD didn't want them to have that committee hearing in the first place. Right? So they had it. All right, fine. Uh in other words, this is not the was not supposed to be the purview of a subcommittee of a House Oversight Committee. It was the Senate Intel Committee, uh, and it kind of got off into the woods there. Okay, fine, but again, uh, the briefings that were were taken not every, not every member of Congress got a briefing. I don't think Burchett ever got a briefing, but he he learned about what with people I talk. I mean, the, the Capitol Hill is a giant cafeteria, uh, and they talk, and he got word, and he decided to take action. Great, good for him. He was aggressive. He was out front, uh, but it was not the way it was supposed to be. And so finally, when they got their skiff, I think they, the DOD it was not going to help them, was not going to give them more information because that information is supposed to come out in the intel committee, not in the House. And Warner knows this, and, and, and Schumer knows this. And so I'm hoping they're factoring that in to the decision they've got to make, and that is hold – that hearing. The witnesses that I know are going to testify will blow this issue sky high and make it absolutely as easy as it could possibly be for President Biden to simply come forward and say, folks, we're not alone. And I, your president, am going to use the legislation and all the stuff that we set up here to start getting information to you as quickly as we can, maintaining, of course, national security protocols. Uh, and we're in the post-disclosure world. Boom. Just like that. I, I it wonder, happened so fast. I wonder if Warner realizes how pivotal what? that hearing could be in terms of what's going on in Ukraine tonight and the Middle mm -hmm. East. Well, this is something I said in several, several, every interview. It always comes up. The very things that people say are going to delay it are the very reasons why it has to happen. We're not going to solve these problems until we get into another place entirely, until we cross that threshold. This Middle East going to solve it? No. Ukraine? No way. Uh, denuclearization? Not a chance. Global warming? Weather issues? No. Depo overpopulation? No way. Trash? Even we can't even solve the trash problem. We hey, we are at the end war. of the runway. Stephen, thank what? you so much. We will do this again. My guest tonight, Stephen Bassett, 
Follow him on uh, Twitter slash X. Follow the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance. Follow the other side of midnight. We'll be back next week with more news at the cutting edge. And until then, remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.